Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 2nd, 2023, including... A new report spells even bigger trouble for Halo developer 343 Industries. Xbox is getting a price increase in Japan. EA just canceled a Titanfall sequel and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2005, FIFA Street released on the original Xbox in the US and Canada. I don't uh, remember really much about this series because I never played it. Actually, I don't know. There were, were there two or one FIFA Street games? I know this was EA Big, which was like the sub-brand of EA that was dedicated to like arcade sports games or like extreme sports games like SSX and things like that, but... I never played FIFA Street. I think it was just like more like arcadey street soccer as opposed to like classic, more like, you know, uh, FIFA Street was the Forza Horizon to regular FIFA, which was more like Forza Motorsport, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But I don't know. There weren't many games that came out on this day in Xbox history. So we're, we're scratching for some of that nerdy ass sports guy stuff. So FIFA Street, guys, I just realized top of the show was so painfully negative. We're talking about, you know, we're teasing the episode at the top of the show. I'm saying bad shit's happening over at 343. Uh, Xbox again, a price increase in Japan. Titanfall sequel canceled. That's all just bad news. I could have at least slipped one positive thing in there now that I think about it. It could have been like um, Phil Spencer had a checkup from his doctor and they said his, his heart is in optimal health. Titanfall sequel canceled and more. You know, just something a little positive. Just throw in the mix something like that maybe but unfortunately I, I guess I'm just such a negative Nancy I didn't even realize what I had done when I was writing these notes yesterday but nonetheless guys welcome to episode 192 of the Xbox on podcast we are two months away from episode 200 that is insane to think about um, I was actually having one of those moments today where I was like yeah I moved to Florida and started Xbox on like two and a half years ago I was like oh wait no that was almost four years ago I'm like well you got to erase a year of your life because you know everyone basically writes off 2020 as a year that didn't really happen it was just one of those like spirals where I'm starting to sweat. And I'm just like, how how is this much time gone by? Like I've I've been here, I've been doing this podcast for almost the entire like duration of a high school career, if you want to put it that way, four year high school career. And I've uh, all I've accomplished is I've uh, I've spent I mean at this at this point hundreds of hours, close to a thousand hours of just Wednesday nights in my boxers talking to myself with a microphone on about. Xbox with non sequiturs pertaining to, but not limited to, Taco Bell, Disney theme parks, Caribou Coffee, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, God, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. But in two months, we'll hit episode 200. And if you if you've been there for just a little bit of it, if today's your first episode, or if you've been here since episode one, doesn't matter. I just want to say thank you for being here, and let's let's kick off this negative week of news with our updates corrections, stories of mild amusement, which we have a pretty robust amount. Actually, before that, trying to keep up with this trend this year where 
we, we talk about the notable game releases of the week first. This week, there are quite a handful. I mean, I guess we kind of touched on these first two last week, but Dead Space Remake is officially out. It came out last Friday. Deliver Us Mars is officially out as of the day this podcast is going live. And then the the two I think people are really excited for, or sorry, the one people are really excited for, coming out in the next week on February 10th, next Friday, Hogwarts Legacy will be out. Remember, that is only Series S, X, and PC. The Xbox One version won't come until April. And then another game that isn't getting a whole lot of hype and talk um, that I'm actually really looking forward to, but probably definitely won't play on day one just because there's way too much happening in gaming right now. Uh, Wanted Dead, which will be on Xbox Series S, X, PC, and Xbox One. So, hey, if you're an Xbox One player, you don't have a Series S or X, and you're looking for something new and exciting to play, maybe check this out. This is a game developed by a bunch of ex-Ninja Gaiden developers, and this game looks so insanely stupid cool. It is a fast, frenetic, third-person action game, whatever. It's It's got a lot of Ninja Gaiden DNA in it, but it's got like this quick kind of like dodgy, dashy mechanic. So I hate to say it, but knowing how every game these days works when it, when it comes to third-person combat, there's probably some Souls-like element, but it really just looks like a, a really, really fucking fun cyberpunk ninja samurai third person action game with just some really really cool looking combat so uh i'm i'm hoping this game does well it's definitely one of those like let's wait and see how the reviews go a little bit just to see if it's completely broken or if this new developer doesn't know what the fuck they're doing but the game no doubt looks really 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 cool um and i'm uh i'm excited to give this one a go at some point Maybe it'll make its way into Game Pass. I don't know. I just my the the problem really isn't the access of games with things like Game Pass versus having to buy games. It's just finding time to fit all these games into your life. And uh, yeah, so next week, Wanted Dead and Hogwarts Legacy. This week, Dead Space Remake and Deliver Us Mars. All right, now we'll jump into our updates, stories of mild amusement, corrections. We got a couple different things, so I split them in a couple categories. First thing, let's do our let's do our updates. Because last week we talked about how the rumor was, according to some achievements and trophies, was that Dead Space Remake may have a secret ending in a new Game Plus mode. But now the game is out, we can confirm that. EA has confirmed it. Players have found it. Yes, the game has a um, a secret ending that is included in the new, pl- uh, new Game Plus mode. So just as a, an update to that, yes. New Game Plus mode, beat it, you'll get a special ending in Dead Space Remake. So just had to touch on that. Now, we also have two updates pertaining to the Activision-Microsoft merger thing. Well, it's not a merger, it's an acquisition because Activision is not merging into Microsoft. Microsoft is absorbing Activision. Uh, but anyway, we got two little updates on it. And again, I'm we're all tired of this story and nothing super substantial has happened. So we're going to read what the updates are offer pretty much no commentary and move on just so we can touch on it but not have to dwell on it because well there's enough negativity in the news this week without without us getting more into the legal happenings of uh of a situation that frankly i don't understand i'm just not equipped to speak on so the first part of it is that sony interactive entertainment ceo jim ryden reportedly met with eu antitrust boss margaret Vestager on Wednesday last week to discuss Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. That is according to a report by Reuters, uh, who the source declined to provide details on what the discussion was about between the PlayStation boss and Vestager. Um, The second part of that is that, and this is from VGC's reporting, 
Microsoft has accused Sony of misleading EU regulator over its commitment to keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation should the acquisition of Activision Blizzard be approved. Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan reportedly met with the antitrust boss, as we just mentioned, over the uh, over the deal. And in a series of tweets published last Friday, Microsoft's chief communication officer and Sony Entertainment or claimed that Sony Entertainment Interactive had misled regulators in Brussels over Xbox's commitment to keeping Activision's flagship first-person shooter series on PlayStation, saying, quote, I hear Sony is briefing people in Brussels claiming that Microsoft will unwillingly uh, is unwilling to offer them uh, parity for Call of Duty if it were acquire if if they were to acquire activision wrote frank x shaw noting quote nothing could be further from the truth he added we've been clear that we've offered sony a 10-year deal to give them parity on timing content features quality playability and other aspects of the game we've also said that we are happy to make the for we were able to make we are happy to make this enforceable through a contract regulatory agreements or other means Sony is a console market leader, and it would defy business logic for us to exclude PlayStation games from Call of Duty's ecosystem. Our goal is to bring COD and other games, as we did with Minecraft, to more people around the world, blah, 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 play together, play how they want, whatever players in the center of the universe we know. So that is your update right there. Uh, apparently, Microsoft is, I think that we talked about this last week, trying to subpoena Sony to have to share what those conversations are and what they've talked about. And obviously, Sony's not- you know, understandably resistant to wanting that to be the case or wanting that to happen. So we will just have to wait and see how that plays out until we get any like sizable updates, something super concrete that we just have to stop the show and talk about. We're basically just going to continue to treat this deal in this fashion because again, it is quite possible that we are going to be talking about this story for at least, at least one more full year. So buckle up the, uh, the pain and suffering never ends. So the good part is we're done with that. Now we can move into the rest of the updates, comments, corrections, whatever. And what am I even calling it? Stories of model amusement, uh, of which I think the rest are a lot more fun to talk about. Starting with the rumor. Uh, I really only saw this rumor coming from Game Rant. Not many other places picked it up. So I really do want to emphasize the rumor part of this. That's why it's not a main news sec- story. It's why it's something we're just going to touch on and then just kind of move on from. But it is interesting nonetheless. So a report from Game Rant claims that Amazon may have a least access agreement to the Tomb Raider franchise. So let's, okay, so Square Enix sells IDOS Montreal, Crystal Dynamics to Embracer Group last year for what it was like for $300 million, all three studios and all all their IP. And so with that comes Tomb Raider, okay? So $300 million gets you all these developers, all this IP, what have you. And that's what Embracer Group got from Square Enix. Now, as this report goes, Amazon is going over to Embracer and saying, we will lease out the Tomb Raider IP. So we're not going to own it. We're just going to have a contractual lease on it for who knows how long to the rights of Tomb Raider, meaning we can make movies and TV shows and video games and comic books and whatever the fuck we want with this IP. But the the rumor, the report, claims that Amazon is agreeing to lease this franchise for $600 million, more than twice the amount that Embracer paid for all three developers plus all the IP, including Tomb Raider. So, 
Uh, I mean, that's not entirely impossible to believe because these tech companies like Microsoft and Amazon, as we've seen with the Activision deal, are in such a financially advantageous position, especially in a world where mergers and acquisitions are so high and, and entertainment and IP are so uh, highly sought after. They're in this advantageous position where they can just throw around laughably dumb money to get what they want. And then at the same time, lay off, you know, five to 10% of their workforce because fuck everything, I guess. But um, so with that in mind, you know, that's just laughably insane how much fucking money they would pay just to have, you know, just because one day some rich guy woke up and was like, I think I think Tomb Raider would be advantageous for us to have so we can, I don't know, make a Tomb Raider movie and a Tomb Raider Amazon Prime show and some video games, I guess. And uh, just some rich guy woke up one day thinking that, and and, and they can do that because they're Amazon, I, I guess. Um, so that I, I really wouldn't put it entirely past them to do something like that. Uh, but goddamn, that's just such an insane thought that <laughs> this IP that you know you think about for the money they spent, for the money Embracer spent to get all of this from Square Enix, a proper like you know by the by the metrics of what Embracer spent to get the three developers plus all the IP they got with this acquisition last year. You can't you can't think that the Tomb Raider IP is going to be worth much more than somewhere between like 30 and 80 million dollars like you know more than a quarter more than a quarter of 100 million um l- less than less than 100 million I, I I don't know so maybe maybe like 75 million dollars uh I it just it's absolutely just mind-boggling to me that apparently Amazon's <laughs> out there willing to offer 600 million not even to own Tomb Raider just to have a licensing lease on it. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like the Sony character, uh, the franchise rights that they have with Spider-Man, where they can just basically manipulate the fuck out of that IP till the ends of time, so long as they're using it actively. I I don't know. Who knows what the agreement looks like? Who knows if this is even real? But just had to put it out there because that's insane to even think about. But uh, yeah, just think about all the companies out there who want to lease Tomb Raider for six hundred million dollars in a world where. Um, certain parts of a, this first world country called the United States of America doesn't even have clean drinking water. Just think about that while I take a sip of my Zephyr Hills, Florida's finest. All right, next up, keeping up with the bad news train that we just got going on here. And it is what it is. This is the week we're in. Uh, relaying from VGC, Electronic Arts has officially delayed the release of Star Wars Jedi Survivor by just over a month to April 28, 2023. In a statement published on Tuesday, developer Respawn Entertainment said the delay was in order to achieve a higher level of polished fans' desire. Uh, it was originally going to mar- release on March 17th, and now we're getting it on April 28th. So, personally, I don't really see this as bad news. You know, it's like a month delay. Oh, well, it's not that bad. To polish up, make sure the game launches in a better state. That's all good news, in my opinion, especially because the first half of this year is just so bombarded with so many game releases. The more we can push things away from a February release, window march out of out of that area into the april may june area i think is is probably much better anyway because it's less crowded so i actually think this is a good thing but i know there are plenty of people who are going to be really bummed out about this because understandably people are really looking forward to this game so delayed by a little over a month to april 28th star wars jedi survivor not the end of the world obviously a delay is generally a good thing especially a small delay like this just to help you know get a really polished day one patch out there or something like that but Oh, well, is what is. Then next up, man, let's see when we have some good news. Okay, this next one is more disappointing news, but I promise you the one after it is good news. So there's that to look forward to. Next up, 
VGC reports that Microsoft have announced plans to delist various games and associated DLC from the Xbox 360 marketplace next month. The exact number of games varies per region. For example, in the US, 46 games will be removed. However, in the UK, only 44 games will be delisted. Uh, full list is available online, but uh, we're not going to go through that here because that would just not make for good audio entertainment. Games set to be removed from the digital marketplace include some really notable titles like Assassin's Creed, the original one, Call of Duty, some Call of Duty games, Dark Souls, Far Cry, Left 4 Dead, the masterpiece Left 4 Dead, Mass Effect, Prince of Persia, Skate, Splinter Cell, and the Witcher series. These are insanely notable games. Honestly, some of the absolute most notable games to ever grace the Xbox 360. Removals of the games will begin... February 7, 2023, so very soon, Microsoft noted that once purchased, players will be able to re-download these games from the Xbox 360 download history. A Microsoft spokesperson um, said to Gimatsu on the matter that these titles will no longer be purchasable on the Xbox 360 storefront only. It's important to note, titles are available to be purchased on Xbox One Series S and X stores, and that will remain purchasable. So... If you have a disc for the game, or if you have it downloaded already, or if you have previously downloaded it, you'll still be able to access it, and all these games are downloadable on newer Xbox hardware, like the series consoles and the One, so it's not like these games are being erased from history, it is just the fact that you will not be able to access them from the marketplace on Xbox 360. So, realistically, this affects just about nobody, but it is one of those, like, posterity things where it's like, mm, a little bit of this conservation of Xbox history is just being diminished, and it's always weird to see that especially on Xbox, because that is the, I think, of the big three in the game's platform space and the hardware, the home console hardware space. Xbox is the one we generally associate the most with the the best amount of preservation for games, where games are brought forward with really awesome backwards compatibility support, um, automatic frame rate boosts, and, and um, just resolution boost and all these kinds of crazy things Xbox is always working on. Xbox is the definitive gaming platform uh, as far as home consoles are are concerned for the preservation and mo- the carrying forward of gaming history. Um, I, I think it's pretty safe to say. So seeing this happen to an Xbox console is a little disheartening, uh, just for that simple fact. But I mean, in all honesty, who out there is using their Xbox 360 today for anything other than, you know, playing some game that's on the Xbox 360 that never was ported over or made backwards compatible on the Xbox One. And that's like pretty much absolutely nobody. You know, Xbox 360 is getting to that point where it's so old that it's going to become hard to even find an Xbox 360 that is fully functional and in working shape. So... So personally, it's like it's one of those things that's like for sentimental purposes, it is a little it's sad, right? I think for many of us, we still think about the Xbox 360 as like the absolute pinnacle of the brand of, of yeah, of the brand. Really, it's just it was the last time that Xbox was super well regarded and firing on all cylinders, where the hardware was selling well, it, the, the brand was in the good graces of the fan, graces of the fans. Um, there were consistent great games coming out on a regular basis. Uh, you know, Xbox was at its peak during the 360s, so to see these kinds of like features and games and this accessibility of the of the console begin to sunset, I think just kind of marks the end of the era of an era more than anything. I wouldn't really, you know. I set up kind of the story saying like this is uh this seems like an L for the preservation of, of gaming history, but really at the end of the day, it's like considering that Xbox has essentially been made into a live service into sorry, into a, a service platform with the carrying everything forward, beginning with the Xbox One generation and whatnot, you know, it's really not that 
it's not that scary or concerning because I know I can just boot up my Xbox One S X whatever and easily download Assassin's Creed, any Call of Duty, Left 4 Dead, Mass Effect, what have you, from those consoles and uh, and play them on my current hardware. So not you know it's not that devastating devastating, but it is just one of those things where you don't like to see it. It's not necessarily a um, a harbinger of anything good necessarily so I, I don't know it's just it's just one of those things worth noting but xbox 360 you are i mean you're long gone long dead you're no longer even remotely a, a piece of contemporary xbox history but um i miss you all right good news vgc relays that sony and the mlb have announced details for mlb the show 23 including the game's cover star uh jazz chisholm i don't know this guy Jazz Chisholm, the 24-year-old Bohemian Miami Marlins star, will grace the box of this year's series entry, which will be released on March 28th. Pre-orders for the game, which are developed by Sony San Diego Studio, will open on February 26th. The Xbox One version of the game will cost $60, while the Series S and X version will be $70. MLB The Show 23 marks the franchise's third appearance on the Xbox ecosystem. As was the case with the last two entries in the game, the standard edition of MLB The Show will be included with Xbox Game Pass on day one. The game was supposed to be cross-platform play, uh, or the game will support cross-platform play, cross-saves, cross-progression on all platforms, although certain features like Stadium Creator will only be available on PS5 and Xbox Series X and S, not Xbox One. The collector's edition of MLB The Show 23 is set to be revealed on February 2nd, the day this podcast goes live, so stay tuned. And yeah, it's another win. I, it looks like Xbox just has a ongoing deal with the MLB at this point to ensure that every year this game comes to Game Pass Day 1, which I just absolutely love this because, well, one, it's a massive W for Xbox fans, and also because it, it continues to just be this really funny, slow middle finger that, that Xbox has in Sony's face over this, like, due to some uh, due to some technicalities, we have one of your most important, most lucrative first-party uh, in-house developed and published games available on our console through our subscription service, no less, uh, day one and it's just uh continues to be just such a big win for xbox and xbox fans and i don't know i love it it's 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 weird because for so long i dreamed that we could have a a baseball game of this caliber on xbox never thinking in a million years we could have this game series on xbox and uh ever since it's really started to hit xbox i've just been you know such a freaking hypocrite because i almost never play mlb the show anymore i really haven't played this game aggressively and I don't know, maybe like five years or so, but uh, every time it comes to Xbox, I'll download it, play a couple hours of it, move on. <laughs> but nonetheless, continues to just be a really, really awesome uh, get for Xbox. And so, hey, there's some positivity in this uh, in this podcast for, for once this week, you know? Anyway, that's enough of that. So let's steer directly back into the negativity with uh, some news about Redfall. Uh, which is that the game will require players to permanently be connected online even when playing single player. Bethesda has confirmed. The requirement is confirmed in the game's newly published official FAQ, which states that while players will be able to play the game solo without an Xbox subscription, they will, or like Xbox Live Gold subscription, they will need to be online enabled to in order to play the game. Under the question on the FAQ, will playing Redfall require an online connection for single player as well as co-op? The FAQ says a persistent online connection is required for single player and for co-op. It also states that a Bethesda.net account will be required to play the game. So I see a lot of people kind of like huffing and puffing over this. This is really bad news. 
maybe this is my own ignorance or just due to my uh, an oversight due to my privilege of just always having lived somewhere with relatively good internet. I don't have like the best internet in the world. I never really have, but I've never really had such God awful internet to where like, if you told me I had to be connected online in order to play a game, it would just be entirely just destructive to my, my ability to enjoy games. It's, I don't know. I just, I struggle with this stuff a little bit. Cause I know, I know a big, I know a big rebuttal, um, to this argument as always, well, there are certain places and, and, you know, certain like middle of the country kind of areas where internet has always been spotty, where people just don't have the best Wi-Fi, and that people really rely on like cellular uh, connections, you know, like a, like a wireless connection from their phone to really, to really do much of anything in terms of connecting to the outside world. And there's a lot of tethering involved and just Wi-Fi is not the best in certain parts of, I don't fucking know. Let's make something up. Idaho. I don't know. Um, and I, I know that's a common argument and rebuttal to this, but let, let me put it this way. I am putting this out there to the community, people who listen to Xbox on. And I know maybe this is a little bit of a skewed, um, sample population because you have to be able to download a podcast in order to listen to the show. But who out there plays Xbox regularly and has to stay disconnected from the internet in order to enjoy their Xbox. I, I understood this argument. It was more sympathetic to sympathetic to it back in like the early Xbox one days when people were really worried about this always online kind of thing, which I still kind of personally think is a little overblown, but you know, we're kind of, we're, 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 we're well past that, that point in time. We're, we're in fact, we're a decade past that fucking point in time. So I really struggle to come to grips with this, understanding of why it's so impossible to think well it sucks for a game to require a constant online connection because i don't have internet or whatever the case may be and and the other side to that is i do understand if someone's like well you know i want to be able to i want to be able to like download this game and then hook it up and play it at a hotel where i may or may not have good internet or i'm trying to i'm trying to think of an example where it even makes sense or maybe in certain countries this is I, i just I don't even really fucking know because it's not like the game is saying it's not like what Bethesda is saying is you have to constantly be connected to an online server in order for the game to be streamed to you. It's not like it's not like the game's frame rate and performance is going to be greatly affected by whether or not your internet quality is good. It's just saying you have to be connected to the internet in order for it to work. And you assume that is because there is some kind of online stats or functionality or service part that the game needs to read off of in order to operate the way it does. We don't fully know yet because we really don't fully know exactly what this game is like just yet. So you assume there's a reason behind it. It's not just some arbitrary, we want to keep you online, you know, big brother watching you kind of thing. There's obviously a reason behind it. So you just got to assume it's like, it's to your, it's to the benefit of the gaming experience that you are, you have a internet connection while you play this game. And more to the point, every fucking game requires updates, day one patches, all this shit anyway. So like the odds of you, you know, being able to play this game without an online connection at any point is just kind of silly. Cause you, I don't know, I guess I'll put it this way. Save for like one time where I had an internet outage and uh, I basically just couldn't do much of anything because my my internet was out. Um, I cannot recall a single time in the past decade where I've just been unable to use my Xbox because, oops, I just don't have the internet. 
And it's not like they're saying like this is how all games have to be going forward. It's just something that pertains to this game. And you assume it has something to do with the way the game reads and operates and functions that it would need to have that consistent online connection, not constantly, you know, being connected to a server and playing the game that way, but, you know, have an online connection, be have your device connected to the internet in order for the game to interface the way it's supposed to, if that makes sense. Honestly, personally, the thing that I take more issue with is this... Um, the, the requirement for people to, for players to have a Bethesda.net account and be signed into that. With Microsoft owning Bethesda at this point, it's like, yeah, yeah, listen, I get it. You know, try to let them operate independently for the most part. But honestly, these are the kinds of things you need to kind of consolidate and, 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 and streamline a bit. It's like, let, let's talk about a world where Xbox, where Microsoft does own Activision Blizzard. Does that mean, like, even though they're all owned by Microsoft, when I play, you know, Halo, I just got to be signed into my Xbox Live account versus when I play Elder Scrolls, I need to be in my Bethesda.net account. But when I play Call of Duty, I got to be in my Activision account and signed in with two-form authentication with my freaking phone number in there and all this shit. It's like, do I really got to do all that stuff if, if you guys are all parts of the Microsoft ecosystem, parts of the Microsoft family? Like... This is the kind of stuff I find a little silly. It's like, maybe get rid of Bethesda.net. We know they're getting rid of the Bethesda launcher, or they already did, and they streamlined all that shit by just putting it into Steam. Like, we need to do that with this stuff as well. Like, if I'm if I'm on my Xbox playing Redfall, the fact that I'm signed into my Microsoft account, that I'm on my Xbox Live account, should be more than enough uh, to, to be partaking in this game. I shouldn't have to have a Bethesda.net account and be signed into that as well. So if anything... That's the kind of part I take a little bit more issue with. It just seems redundant, unnecessary, and, and messy um, when it doesn't need to be for a first-party game. I don't know. Having to sign into like some other company's personal account system thing in order to enjoy a game feels very much like a third-party game kind of thing. I feel like I expect that when I play EA or Activision or Ubisoft. I, I don't expect that when I play an Xbox first-party game. So I feel like this is something Microsoft might want to look into maybe getting rid of or or just lumping into uh, your Microsoft account. I just, I don't know, it seems silly to me. But nonetheless, uh, we got a lot of stories of mild amusement this week. We got two more. Next one, actually, pretty pretty positive in, in one light, negative in another. So a little bit of both, yin and yang. Uh, so as VGC reports, Xbox's surprise release last week, Hi-Fi Rush, reportedly outperformed Forspoken on Steam during both the games uh, both games debut week last week. According to Steam's weekly global top uh, sellers listed on SteamDB, which lists best-selling games for Steam by revenue made, Hi-Fi Rush came in at number 8, while Forspoken came in, or didn't even make the top 10. The difference is particularly notable when you see that Forspoken has been uh, supported with a sizable marketing campaign, whereas Hi-Fi Rush was just secretly launched and just dropped in the middle of an Xbox Direct presentation. Um, so, you know, notably also, Hi-Fi Rush is significantly less expensive than the $70 Forspoken, coming in at only 30 bucks. And, you know, it doesn't count pre-order sales, in which case you could say Forspoken may have sold better if you include its pre-order numbers as well, whereas Hi-Fi Rush didn't have pre-order numbers because that shadow dropped. So a couple ways to look at that. But nonetheless, I think maybe maybe this isn't very beneficial to even look at this story, but it is interesting and promising to see that Hi-Fi Rush <clears throat> actually came out uh, to, a, you know, a decent amount of acclaim and a, a lot of intrigue and a lot of people stopped everything and kind of gave the game a go. So... 
I don't know, man. I thought I thought that was pretty damn cool. I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, despite my initial assumption that this game may not go over well with the Xbox community, it seems like people are really high on this game. And we'll get into more of that. We got a question later on the show. Um, we'll talk about this more with the, what I've been playing. But it seems like Hi-Fi Rush is doing quite well out the gate, which is uh, warming to my heart for sure and also just uh, exciting. But Forspoken, I know a couple people have written in about it and people want to talk about it. I, I don't really know what to say about Forspoken. It's a PlayStation exclusive. Yes, it's also on um, it's on Steam or it's on Epic. It's, it's on PC. But I just really don't have much to say about it. I know there's a lot of consternation about this game. I don't know. I think from a gameplay perspective, the game actually looks kind of good. I think, yeah, I agree with all the comments about the writing and the voice acting and everything being kind of cringy. But I just, I really don't have much to say on Forspoken. But it is kind of the hottest game that came out right now, aside from Dead Space Remake. Um, and and looks like Hi-Fi Rush is kind of eating its lunch a little bit. So that's uh, exciting to see Microsoft just get some kind of win with their first party lineup. And mostly, I just, I'm just excited to see Tango Gameworks do something so different and really succeed with it. Because this game is awesome but we'll get into that in a little bit and lastly our final story mile amusement from vgc ubisoft has announced hey good news ending on some good news ubisoft have announced the crew motor fest for release in 2023 this year led by or developed by lion france-based ubisoft ivory tower the game will be available for xbox series s and x xbox one and pc via the ubisoft store and epic game store quote motor fest <clears throat> will allow car levels to lovers to fulfill their ultimate action driving bucket list through a series of tailor-made races, themed events, or unique challenges, according to Ubisoft. As previously reported, the third entry in the open-world racing series is set on an island of Oahu in, on the Hawaii archipelago. "Quote: This is the perfect playground for players who have fun, who want to have, sorry, who want to have fun together." with their vehicles racing through the streets in the city of Honolulu, going down the ashy volcano slopes, adventuring deep into lush rainforests, drifting along curvy mountain roads, or just chilling on a sunny beach on their own or with their friends, with their crew. They will be available. Uh, they will be able to explore the entire Island behind the wheel of hundreds of most of the most legendary vehicles. Blah, 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 blah. Ubisoft is launching the first series of closed tests for the game beginning now this week, first week of February and an upcoming console test will come at a later date. The first entry in the series, the crew was released in 2014, followed by a sequel in 2018, aptly named the crew Two. Ubisoft claimed in June of 2021 that the series had attracted over 30 million players since launch. So needless to say, the series has been quite a success for Ubisoft. And now I must say, having seen the announcement trailer, this game looks like Ubisoft's the crew a direct sequel to Forza Horizon 3. This just looks like Forza Horizon 3 through and through. I know Forza Horizon 3 was in Australia, not Hawaii, but um, I mean, watch the trailer and tell me that this this game doesn't seem like it's seriously evoking Forza Horizon 3 because that's exactly what it looks like it's going for. And that's not a bad thing. Forza Horizon 3 was a phenomenal game. Forza Horizon is a phenomenal series. I've never played the crew, so I don't know, you know, how different this is from the first two entries, but it definitely looks like it is deeply, deeply inspired by um by Forza Horizon, especially when you consider that originally, remember, back in 2014, the crew was kind of marketed and, and pitched as this game where it's like, hey, it's an open-world racing game where you can drive across the entirety of the United States. You can drive from New York to California if you want, for, you know, for fuck's sake. Just go, go nuts. And it was like a truncated, condensed version of the entire U.S. in one open-world racing game, which is a really cool idea, but needless to say, you know, that's... How, how how interesting is that really going to be when you have to build an entire game world? You know, whatever. But, um, yeah, it seems like this series has always kind of quietly done very well. People don't talk about it too, too much, but 
it is exciting to see Ubisoft have a game that will probably no doubt do very well for releasing this year. Surprise surprise announcement. Something interesting. Something people can get behind. We don't have to be all down and dour about it. It's not called Tom Clancy's The Crew Motor Fest. You know, they're not milking the Tom Clancy name with this one. They're not trying to do some live service. Free-to-play multiplayer garbage. It's just a good, wholesome open-world arcade racing game, which I think we can all kind of get behind, even though it isn't necessarily the most exciting thing Ubisoft could possibly do. They need some safe wins right now, and I think this is going to be a good one for them. So that's the Crew 3. Uh, something to keep an eye out on if you are for if you're a racing fan, but keep in mind this game will have some competition going into the end of the year with, of course, Forza Motorsport coming out later this year. Although, Arcade Racer uh, versus a Sim Racer. Very, very different styles of games, but Nonetheless, you know, both will surely be attracting the eyes of car enthusiasts. Nonetheless, guys, that is it for all of our comments or not comments. That is it for all of our stories of mild amusement opening segments. We got a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a decent amount of news kind of week, but unfortunately, a lot of it is negative. But we will try to keep positive now by moving into the the the, the in between segments from the small the small mild amusing stories to the big news where we we take a break and we talk about the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. All right, you guys, I have been just infatuated with food the past couple of days because uh, this past Monday I just got off my second time sailing with Disney Cruise Line, uh, you know, the, the best cruise line if I must say, and that comes with no bias from me being a hardcore Disney fan. But uh, yeah, we uh, we went on a Disney cruise for the second time. We went last year around this time. Just thought it was <clears throat> really really awesome. And so last summer when they uh, when Disney Cruise set sail with a brand new fifth ship, I knew I had to check this bad boy out as well. So we booked this a while back, and uh, I've been really looking forward to it. So this past weekend we did a three night sailing on the brand new Disney Wish Wish ship. And you might be saying, Well, Jesse, what the fuck does what is what does Disney and cruising have to do with food? Well, dumbass, don't you know what a cruise is all about? It's a glorified hotel in the middle of the ocean, and the whole setup is you will get fat and drunk and sit on a beach for a weekend. And that is exactly what I did, save for the uh, getting sunburned and drunk part, because I basically just overate and looked at Disney shit, and it was a phenomenal three days. And uh, gotta tell you guys, cru- here's the thing. If you've never cruised, and I'm, I'm relatively new to the cruising industry, I'm falling in love with it really hard and fast these past couple of years, but... um. Well, this past year, I should say. Um, but, you know, there, there's one thing people who have experienced cruising know. It's that generally cruising is like this uh, – it's like this double-edged sword with food because it's all about, like, all the food is included in the price of the cruise. There's buffets. There's nice table service. There's all these different kinds of food. But everything's included, so you can just eat to your heart's content. You can overeat. You can have five meals a day. You can eat 6,000 calories. God won't punish you. It's all good. You, you, calories don't count on the, in the middle of the ocean. I feel like that's something some some Karen bitch would say to you. Um, but it, it's true. This is how cruising works is you just fucking eat, and that's all you do. Every Everything you do on a cruise is just an excuse to kill time between your next meal, and I love it for that. That's all I could ever ask for. And so I got to say, Disney Cruise Line is already kind of known as one of the better cruise lines in terms of food quality because usually on a cruise, the food is like okay or average. You know, it's usually like, you know, it's all you can eat. It's all inclusive. So it's not going to be the best quality food. But on, on Disney Cruise, they're generally known for being at least better than most with the food quality. And I especially found that to be true on this particular sailing where, you know, Disney's trying to go all all out with trying to make their food offerings a little more a little more diverse, a little more um, interesting. 
Of course, you got your like 24-hour pizzas, burgers, hot dogs, chicken tenders, shit like that. But they also have some really interesting shit on this ship. And uh, it was, dude, just so very good. I'm talking, you know, freaking prime rib carving stations. You got uh, glazed salmon, uh, tonkatsu, freaking desserts out the ass. You got a barbecue station that has unbelievably good fall-off-the-bone ribs, which you would never expect from a cruise ship and you know every night some different stuff you get like oh here's a pasta with scallops and and he, he, here's a here's a, here's a donut on top of a sundae and here's a marvel themed restaurant all this shit so they really knocked it out of the park on on this uh on the ship with the food and so i just i mean this isn't to brag this is just to say i have been i'm pretty sure i put on like eight pounds this week and i'm not like i'm not trying to be cute like i, I think it's about eight pounds is what i put on and uh, i i gotta be honest i i don't regret a single aspect of it a single inch of it because Eating the past the past week, the past weekend has been such an absolute pleasure and absolute joy. And and, and I gotta say, I'm I'm such a fanboy for the Disney Cruise Line. If anything, I feel like I'm kind of getting over theme parks in general at this point. I'm just kind of moving more into cruising at this point, where I don't want to ride roller coasters and stand in lines in the hot, sweaty Florida sun. I just want to sit on a boat and eat until I fucking pass out and have a heart attack. Uh, it, I think it is an admirable and respectable way to go and if that's if that is how god chooses to to take me home then so be it uh may it be on a disney cruise with my mouth stuffed full of fucking medium rare prime rib slash cookies slash hot dogs uh slash baked scallops all at the same time because i'm you know whatever there are worse ways to go so anyway that's what i've been eating it's just it's been a fucking nightmare in the best way possible Uh, i'm still just constantly meat sweats every night thinking about all the all the all the crap I ate and uh I wish I were back on that ship right now. Let me let me say that much. Last week after that Xbox Direct, very much I was in an Xbox mood. Very much wanted to play games, talk about Xbox, lots of interesting news to go over. This week, after having been on a cruise, all I can think about is how badly I wish I were back on that boat. But nonetheless, life goes on. We have to go back to eating brown rice and, and grilled chicken because we don't want to die at age thirty. And with that said, that is it for what I've been eating. But I would love to hear any anecdotes you guys might have if you are, uh, if we have any cruising aficionados out there in the audience. But that's it for that. And now we will move on to the what I've been playing. And you know what? Despite having, you know, my heart and my mind are on a boat in the middle of the Bahamas right now, despite that being the case, I have some very enthusiastic things to say about gaming this week because I've been playing two games. One of them is a continuation of last week where I'm playing Gotham Knights still. And the second one is a game I think many of you are probably eager to talk about, which is Hi-Fi Rush, the new shadow dropped game from developer Tango Gameworks, recent uh, part of the Bethesda family, recent part of the Xbox family by extension of that acquisition a few years back. So um, yeah, I mean, we we all know the story now. We were there last week. Uh, We saw what happened. Hi-Fi Rush is a, well, let me just start off with this. Dead Captain James writes in and says, Hi-Fi Rush is a blast. Good day. I think that that comment sums it up perfectly because that's really all I have to say about Hi-Fi Rush. This game is such a pleasant surprise. And there's so many ways in which it just doesn't make sense that this game exists. It's from Tango Gameworks, a team that is led by Shinji Mikami, the creator of Resident Evil 4, a famed horror game developer. Okay? Um, this is the first game this this team has made in in, in a uh, sorry. This is the first game this this team has ever made that is not horror or horror adjacent. Period. In their, I mean, they've been around for Evil Within One came out in like what 2014. So this team's been around for over a decade at this point when you consider development time. 
And um, it's just so crazy that, the, you know, we know they were in the news a, a month or two ago about saying, you know, how they would like to make games that aren't horror related and branch out and try different things. And we didn't know that meant, hey, we have a brand new game that's ready to go. It's about to come out. Get ready for this shit. And I'm so, so glad they decided to venture out and do something other than horror because Hi-Fi Rush is absolutely, without a doubt, so insanely my shit. This game is so so freaking cool. My only concern going into this game was I hope they don't lean so hard into the trying to play to the rhythm of the music that it's like more like Metal Hellsinger where like your your gameplay style is like just punishingly tied to playing in the beat and less so this like no 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 it's a third person action game where you can play to the beat and that plays into the combat and it's supplemental and and and, and beneficial if you play into that stuff with the game but it's not like a rhythm game first and an action game second. Does that make sense? It's like it's a third person action platformy type game first with some rhythm elements as a secondary part, I guess I would say. And the rhythm stuff, while it does affect, of course, the combat and kind of the pacing and the way the game plays, I think if anything, what it really affects for me in the in the hour and a half, I haven't had a lot of time to play it, but in the hour and a half, hour, two hours I've put into this game, it seems like that has a lot more to do with kind of the overall feel and the style and the energy of the game and a lot less to do with the moment-to-moment gameplay because even though technically when you're fighting you're doing combos you are trying to like keep to like this beat it doesn't really feel like that once you get the hang of the game it just kind of feels like you're playing a really fun artistically stunning action you know third person game and uh, I, I just really, really adore this game. I feel like stylistically, it is a bleeding, uh, it is just an absolute merger between like Jet Grind Radio and um, meets Sunset Overdrive, which, you know, you see a lot of people calling out the Sunset Overdrive inspiration. Don't forget, you know, Jet, Jet Grind Radio or Jet Set Radio, depending on which one you're more familiar with. Um, absolutely, I've seen a lot of people say this game feels like it is a modern Sega Dreamcast game. And I could not, I couldn't agree with that anymore. This is absolutely a, a modern day Sega Dreamcast game in the most complimentary way possible. Um, this game is just so, so stylish, so beautiful, so fun to look at, so fun to just kind of see all the ridiculous shit. I mean, the, the game is insane. Like, it's just like your, your guy gets trapped on a conveyor, falls onto a conveyor belt, gets pulled into a system where they're about to, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're turning into like some cyborg robot human thing, whatever. And his iPod gets, his iPod falls into the machine and gets imprinted into his chest like the fucking thing Iron Man has on his chest. And it makes him and everything around him intrinsically tied to like the beat and the rhythm of the music he listens to. It's like just the most absurd, ridiculous cartoonish shit. But it's the game is so goofy and so funny, not in like a ha ha funny way, but just like in a oh that's so ridiculous and weird and thoughtful and creative and silly and I just I absolutely adore this game stylistically top to bottom and I gotta say this is the kind of stuff that Xbox has always historically from the beginning of Xbox been lacking in and we've had attempts we've had some things here that you know Voodoo Vince or Blinks the Time Sweeping Cat back in the OG Xbox days you got um. Cameo, you know, like you had games like Cameo um, on the uh, on the Xbox 360, or like uh, I don't know what's that what's that Xbox One game? It eventually kind of came to everything, but it was that uh, I played it a few years ago. What is that game called? The freaking like you play as the 
it's like a scroll, not like Conquer. I, I already forget what it's called. Um, but I don't know. Xbox has had, you know, on and off throughout the years, there's been attempts at like family friendly games like Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts and games that's like, oh, this will be fun for the kids or fun for like. This, this game isn't, is it's like the actual proper realization of like having something like that. Hi-Fi Rush isn't a game where I'm like, oh, this is for kids. You know, this is this is a kiddie game that I happen to enjoy. This is a game that is stylistic and fun and it is, you know, kid appropriate. I think kids would love this game, but adults can easily play and admire and appreciate too. It very much has tons and tons of Sega 90s energy in it. And I just, I feel like Xbox has never had something like this really. There have been slight attempts at things like this. And I don't know, we're just talking about I'm all over the place with this. It's just we're, we're talking about Xbox who've always struggled to get into the Japanese market. Xbox who've always never really had a reason to to give Japanese players something to look at. Um, you know, when are, when when their games are just so insanely like Western focused, you know, with shit like Gears of War and chainsawing people's faces off. But I, I don't know, just everything about this game, it's just it adds the variety, the spice of life, the flavor that Xbox has so sorely lacked. And every time... You know, I every time I see like what the Xbox community kind of yearns for or wants in gaming, it's like I feel like it's so indicative of what the Xbox brand has kind of cultivated in its fan base over the years, which is very much like M-rated action games, gory games, gruesome games. And don't get me wrong, clearly I love that shit. All I ever talk about is how much I love Halo and stuff like this, and how the Xbox 360 generation is like the best era of gaming. So clearly, I'm into a lot of this stuff, but. Man, oh man, I, I love that Xbox can finally have a, a cartoonish, whimsical, just ridiculous, super creative game like this that honestly fits right at home in Xbox, especially when you consider that in a lot of ways, I still consider this day Xbox to be the kind of spiritual successor to uh, Sega in terms of the hardware space and you know with with a history of games like Sunset Overdrive, I feel like Hi-Fi Rush really fits into that into that kind of that nest that Xbox has built, but it's just never really fully act like, you know, fully actual actualized. And, uh, it's just so exciting to me to see a game like this, not only exist, not only be exclusive to Xbox, but also to come out with high praise and a, a lot of attention, a lot of fanfare. And that just makes me so happy. I think it, everything about how they did this game was so smart because it, I'm not going to act like this is an idea I came up with. Everyone's right. You, you know, if this game had been teased and announced prematurely or, or, or months ago, whatever the case may be, if this was something they showed off and teased at the game awards and then they said, Oh, it'll be out next month in January. The whole past month would have just been people being, like Xbox has no fucking games and then some guy would be like Hi-Fi Rush is coming out and they'd be like oh, Hi-Fi Rush is some stupid little indie game some stupid little kid game it's not a real game God of War PlayStation has God of War and that kind of would have been the narrative and it would have hurt this game a lot for no good reason but to just randomly shadow drop it and beat people to the punch and be like let's not let's not do the previews and have the media say a thing or have the fanboys say a thing or, or any of this shit let's just put the game in front of people's face faces it's on game pass anyway so the barrier to entry is pretty much as low as it can get without it being free to play and just let people play and, and see what they think i think did this game wonders because all all people could do was just fucking play the game and say is it good or not and the game speaks for itself it's a damn good game um it's it's a little like i don't know maybe we'll open up more and more and more as i get into it deeper 
but about two hours into it, it's a little it's a little basic once you kind of get the hang of like what the game has to offer. But I don't mean that in a bad way. Like the game is you're you're kind of along for the ride. The gameplay loop is fun. It's it's consistently engaging and entertaining. The world is ridiculous. It's funny. The story is fun. The the the, the cinematics and cutscenes are insanely stylistic and just super cool to look at. I actually get a lot of uh, Kingdom Hearts kind of inspiration or, or, or vibes, as they say, when watching this game with your guitar, like mechanical weapon thing that looks kind of like a keyblade and all that. So it's just lots of zany, wacky Japanese shit happening in this game. And I just, I think it's such a fucking cool game. It just has so much personality. It's such a breath of fresh air on Xbox. And I really, really welcome games like this. And I hope, I hope this is, is uh, this sends a message to Xbox and various Xbox first parties that we want cool shit. We want more fun stuff like this. You know, I think Obsidian gave us a little bit of a, a a western game with some charm and some character and some kind of a all ages appeal when, when they did grounded um I, I think this just gives us that kind of thing but with a super japanese twist that just makes it super unique and, and honestly i don't even think really a lot of japanese developers give us stuff that oozes this much character and personality these days what you know in a world where every fucking final fantasy game and japanese games try to be as realistic and gritty as humanly possible it's just it's just nice every now and again to see a game that's like hey this is a video game like what do you want yeah it's cartoony and you hack and slash and stupid shit happens and it looks ridiculous and we made the style really fun because it's a fucking video game and i think there's a lot of room for that it's there's been a, a crater of a void left where um where these kinds of games used to be and so to have something like Hi-Fi Rush come in and fill in this slower time period for Xbox first party, I think is just such a such a warm and pleasant game to have filling in the time. And I honestly, I'm really excited to get back to it this weekend now that I'm going to have a little bit of free time back on my hands. So that's Hi-Fi Rush. That's the that's the main game I've been playing. The other game I've been kind of picking at a little bit. I was really into it last week, but then again, I went on I went on the cruise and it kind of derailed what I was doing with gaming. But um, I'm still playing Gotham Knights, and I I gotta be honest with you guys. Um, originally, when this game was, you know, when everyone was anticipating this game a year or two ago, I, I thought, you know, I think I'm gonna play this game. It sounds pretty good. Um, and then as we got closer to launch, I was like, oh, this game looks rough, and everyone started hating on it. And the reviews were kind of middling, and everyone was just, eh, Gotham Knights, don't don't worry about it. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. We got Modern Warfare 2, we got Sonic Frontiers, we got Evil West, we got Callisto Protocol. I'm good. I don't need Gotham Knights right now. I'm I'm well fed. But there's just, like I said, last week I just had some weird, urgy impulse to be like, I'm downloading this game. I knew it was $35 on sale at the time. I think the sale just ended. Um, but, you know, $35, I'm like, I think that's a good buy-in price. Let me see what this game is all about. And I just, I gotta be honest, I don't think I would regret this game if I bought it at full price. If I if I paid $70 for Gotham Knights, I don't think I would have been disappointed at all. I'm I'm liking this game way more than I expected to. And I don't, I don't really have a good reason why. Like, yeah, the game is visually... I think a little inadequate for for what it is, for how long it was in development. I think visually and performance-wise, it's just a little basic. I I think the moment-to-moment gameplay of this game is a little overdressed with all this, like, things to do and different currencies and XP and skill tree and all that. But when you really break the game down to its most basic form and its its bare essence, it's it's just a pretty linear, somewhat open-world kind of, like... I guess it's an open world game with a very linear structure and format where you, you know, you 
do the things around the map and you go back to the base, you take the next mission, you go do the next mission, you go back into the open world, you check some boxes and you just fuck around as these knockoff Batman characters and they're they're fun. It's it's a fun game. The the, the cinematics are really engaging, the story is really engaging. I I kind of like some of the characters a decent amount. Like, I don't know, man, Gotham Knights is not groundbreaking by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a drop everything and play this game. But if you were interested in Gotham Knights and then you were kind of turned off by the, the critics and the reviews and everything and, and just the conversation surrounding this game, I got to be honest, I, I, I'm i pleasantly surprised how much I'm really enjoying this game. And, and just to be fair, I'm about four or five hours into the game. I played half of that time on my Series X and the other half on my Series S. In fact, if you were on twitch.tv slash Lightning Extreme this past Monday, shout out, um, and you saw me streaming this game for a couple hours, I played that entirely on my Series S. Remember, this is the game where one of the developers that worked on this game was shitting on how Series S is the thing holding the industry back, blah, 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 blah. People are like, oh, the Series S, I don't know how to run this game. Dude, this game runs just as well on my Series S as it does on my Series X. I can't fucking tell the difference. So maybe that's more criticism to levy at the developers that, you know, this game should and could run a lot better on Series X and PS5 than it actually does. 30 FPS is pathetic. Um, But, I mean, I play this thing on my Series S and it's absolutely, completely fine. Totally serviceable. Uh, I mean, I I don't know, man. This this game is... um, It's a good time. It's just... I think especially as it's going to probably be cut down in price more often, I think you're going to see it be in the 30 to $50 range on a regular basis going forward. I think this game is totally worth it at that price point. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm having a really good time with it. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it does kind of scratch that itch. I I, uh, I get a lot of times when I play games like Far Cry where I know I'm not really playing anything groundbreaking, but I like to just put on a podcast, zone out on the couch, and just play through this linear mission structure on this you know, just barely open world game and uh, just kind of go through it. And there, you know, the, oh, I got a skill point just because I did the mission. I'll go ahead and unlock this ability, I guess. And skill tree expands your combat arsenal just a little bit. And it, you know, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's, it's just good fun. And uh, I don't know. I like, I like Gotham. I think it's a fun environment. I grew up not really giving a shit about Batman, but there's something about it in recent years where just the DC universe is really clicking with me in a way it never had previously. And, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about it. I just want to be these little bat vigilante boys running around the city while penguin-sized um, Danny DeVito-looking men like eat their own saliva and, and, and their, choke on their spit and smoke cigars and tell you to go to the bar to talk to the, the lady dressed as a cat because for some reason that's acceptable in this universe. And it's, it is what it is. And it's, it's fine. It's not great, but it is fine. And it is what it is. And uh, that's Gotham Knights. So I'm really enjoying it despite... Despite the animosity towards the game, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, that's it for what I've been playing, eating. It's been a good week. Pretty grateful. So uh, with that said, let's take a quick break here and then jump into the news. All right, guys, let's start off with the big one this week. And uh, bear with me. I think we actually have a Bloomberg article that we can read direct from Bloomberg, although usually I don't have access. I was able to get this one. I don't know how through the right link. Don't ask me how that works. But anyway, Bloomberg has a big scoop on Halo developer 343 Industries. Third week in a row, we got to talk about them in a not-so-great way. But um, buckle up because I think... Well, hopefully this is the last time in a while we'll have to hear about them. But um, unfortunately, it it got worse. I feel like it it was bad two weeks ago. Then last week, it kind of got... like We got a little bit of a silver lining. And then this week... All right, get... Buckle up. 
I hope you hate Halo because you're about to get some uh, some sad news. Microsoft Corporation. This is from Bloomberg and a little bit from Windows Central as well. That's through in here. But Microsoft Corporation says that it's going to keep new games in the popular Halo franchise at its prized 343 industry studio despite rumors to the contrary. But after a leadership overhaul, mass layoffs, and a host of big changes, the outfit is all but starting from scratch. The Redmond Washington-based Team 343 Industries released the latest game, Halo Infinite, in December of 2021 to widespread critical acclaim. It was seen as a redemption story for the title that had suffered multiple delays, endless development problems, and a merry-go-round of creative leads. But in the months to follow, fans turned against the game, complaining about a thin roadmap and a slow rollout of features that had been ex expected on day one. At the same time, 343 was seemingly losing staff by the week and went through major leadership changes last fall that led to some employees being led some employees to brace for reorganization. An axe fell in mid-January when Microsoft announced mass layoffs at 343 Industries and they and the team was hit hard. While Microsoft declined to provide specific figures, at least 95 people at the company have lost their jobs, according to a spreadsheet. Of affected employees reviewed by Bloomberg. The list names dozens of veterans, including directors and contractors upon which the studio heavily relies. Those temporary employees were given just a few days warning before their contracts came to an end, according to people familiar with the process, asking not to be identified because they weren't authorized to speak publicly on the matter. All right, just bear with us, guys. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of information. So that's kind of the setup. We're familiar with a lot of that going into up until now. Here's where we get the really juicy stuff. The cuts led to rumors that 343 would farm out development of the Hero Halo series going forward to other game companies. Matt Booty, head of Microsoft's gaming Xbox Game Studios, said in an interview that, quote, 343 will continue as an internal developer for Halo and as the home of Halo. Internally, Matt Booty has assured 343 staff that even as they work with outside partners and outside um, in outsourcing houses, they will remain in charge. Question remains, however, about the fate of Halo fran as a franchise and as the studio is hollowed out and made it makes big changes to how developments of how it develops games. Chief among them is a pivot to a new gaming engine, the suite of tools and technology used to make video games. The studio's own engine, known publicly as Slipspace, has been one of the biggest points of contention over the past two decades. Based largely on old code from 1990s and early 2000s, it's buggy, difficult to use, and has been a source of headaches for some developers on Halo Infinite. People familiar with the development said several multiplayer modes that are nearly finished, such as Extraction and Assault, both popular in previous Halo games, had yet to even be released in part because of issues involving the engine. At several points over the past decade, management at 343 debated switching to Epic Games' popular Unreal Engine, but it wasn't until last year when previous studio head uh, Bonnie Ross and engine lead David Berger departed and Pierre Heinz took over that the firm finally decided to pivot to Unreal Engine, and the switch started with a new game codenamed Tatanka which we've heard a lot about from Jez Corden over at Windows Central in recent you know, over the past year or so. According to people familiar with the plans, the project, which 343 is developing alongside Austin, Texas-based game studio Certain Affinity, started off as a battle realm game, but may have evolved into it, may have evolved in different directions, people have said. Future games in the series will also explore using Unreal Engine, which may make development easier, although internal skeptics are worried that the Switch will have a negative impact on the Halo games, the way they feel, the way they play. A Microsoft spokesperson declined to comment on issues regarding the engine and the company's plans to pivot over to Unreal. Since Halo Infinite was released, fans had assured 
that fans have been assured that in addition to new multiplayer modes, 343 was working on new content for the story. But that wasn't the case. According to people familiar with the situation, developers were making prototypes in the Unreal Engine and pitching ideas for Halo games rather than working on new missions for Infinite. Many of those developers were laid off this past month, and the company is not actively working on new story content, the people said. Microsoft's spokesperson, again, declined to comment. Let's round it out with this little bit here. In the eyes of some observe observers and former 343 employees, the reorganization was a long time coming. The studio, which was founded in 2007 to inherit Halo after Microsoft parted ways with the original developer Bungie, has struggled through many challenges, including the releases of several polarizing games. Patrick Wren, a former 343 designer, said on Twitter that the job cuts and the state of the Halo franchise overall are the result of, quote, incompetent leadership up top during Halo Infinite's development that led to, quote, massive stress on those working hard to make Halo the best it can be. What have I been saying? What have I been fucking saying? All you motherfuckers out there who are like, fire 343, 343 don't know how to make Halo. How many times have I motherfucking said it's leadership at the top? You stupid dumb bitches. You dumb piece of shit. Anyway, lastly, Microsoft once promised that Halo Infinite would be the start of the next 10 years of Halo. I'm so glad that Bloomberg mentions this part. But its recent moves point to a shorter term vision. In an email to staff following the layoffs, Heinz wrote that the current plan for 343 to support a quote robust live offering for Halo Infinite and its Forge level creator and greenlighting our new tech stack for future Halo games while also bringing Halo to more players through more platforms than ever before. All right, where to even begin? Holy fuck. I feel like I have so much to say yet at the same time we talked about so many, so much of this for so long. Some of this is kind of affirming, I feel like, speculation that we've had on this podcast for a while now, while some of it is just more bad news that we didn't already know about. So I guess let's just start with where we kind of most recently left off where the story kind of ends talking about single player content in the future of Halo Infinite. This is the part that breaks my heart because this is this is the rant I had last week, right? Was everyone keeps talking about Fire 343, make Halo game or have other developers make Halo games. Let's let id make a Halo game. Let's let Infinity Ward make a Halo game, whatever, whatever, whatever. But the part I was super hung up on is like, hey guys, Remember that despite our frustrations with the live service aspect of Halo Infinite, remember that this game came out and had a pretty fucking good campaign, proving that 343 still knows what they're doing with Halo when left with the proper tools and talent in time. They put together a damn good Halo game. Halo 4, awesome campaign. Halo 5, even better campaign with some story hiccups. I, I understand that I think are mostly due to pacing, although people want to just trash the story to each their own, but nonetheless, I think Halo 5 has a kick-ass campaign. Halo Infinite, even though I don't like the fact that they basically just jump over Halo 6 and jump over to Halo 7, Halo Infinite still has a fucking killer campaign with great characters and really overall phenomenal campaign. Probably, I think the one most people would, would agree is the best Halo campaign since the Bungie days. Although, I again, I still love Halo 5. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, Halo Infinite was a great game. When it came out, we all agreed it was a great game. Great campaign, really robust multiplayer, really fun multiplayer, lots of really promising content. Just missing some things. Where's Forge? Where's that co-op campaign? Things like that. But it's all it's all coming. We're waiting. We've got the roadmap on the way. That was kind of the atmosphere at the end of 2021, early 2022, when this game had first come out. And I feel like everyone just immediately forgets, even though that was only a year ago, I feel like everyone immediately forgets this. Because the thing is, we're waiting on this 10-year plan for Halo Infinite, where we're going to continue to get more multiplayer maps, more seasons, more content, more modes, and most importantly, additional campaigns. This is destiny. This is Halo turning into destiny, where every year we get a new campaign expansion, or every other year we get 
brand new campaign expansion, and the story's going to continue. We're going to get more and more of the narrative. And that's what I've been looking forward to. At the end of the day, and I know we've just spent, spent the past year talking about the, in the moment, in the trenches, what's going on in 343, where the fuck is this Battle Royale mode? Where's Forge mode? Where's Theater? Why is this broken? Why aren't there enough maps? beyond all that, the big picture was always Halo Infinite is going to be our Halo game for the next decade. We're going to get tons of new weapons, maps, seasonal content, all that shit. But what I'm most looking forward to is this new faction of enemy that they announced that they basically teased at the end of Halo Infinite. What I'm more excited about is finding out, you know, more about the weapon and how that relationship with her and Master Chief evolves in this world where Cortana is just officially dead and gone. I'm super excited to see how that plays out now. I want to know more about the in-between events between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite. Uh, this game teases it. There's a lot of side content and in-game kind of lore that alludes to things that happen in between these two games. And I'm so excited to explore more of that. And that's kind of where I've been at the, at, at the core of all this. And I know it's not what we've been talking about as much because the news and the story has been focused on the multiplayer. But long story short, to put it, to put it simply, this is soul-crushing to me. This is the absolute just most devastating news you could possibly have for Halo. There's a million ways we can launch off this, but to know that 343 basically stopped working on story content uh, half a year ago or whatever, started dicking around with, oh, well, let's see if we can get Halo Infinite into uh, Unreal Engine. Let's move it over from Slipspace to Unreal. And then those people were basically laid off. And now there's like seemingly no one working on single player campaign content at all. And now the focus is on basically just sustaining the Halo Infinite multiplayer for like a year or two like you would with like Halo 4 or 5 until you move on to the next game. Just absolutely crushes me because I feel like the Halo canon, the Halo narrative, the respect and love for the story and the world building of Halo is officially dead. And all the hard work that went into making Halo Infinite, this return to form for Halo fans while also a continuation of the world 343 was building, which I think the game did such a phenomenal job at, is all that hard work, everything is for nothing. Because ungrateful, shitty little Halo fanboys who are just the most toxic sacks of shit ever who really just need to go get some fucking Star Wars tattoos and fuck off because they're bringing that level of toxicity to Halo. <clears throat> We're so insanely just unsatisfied and salty and just demanding throughout the past year that they made the entire narrative about where where is co-op campaign all this shit that really at the end of the day, statistically, no one gives a fuck about. We just had to act salty about it because that's, I guess, what we do. And Microsoft being so goddamn awful at just like staying the fucking course and not caving into the the backlash and the in the conversation, couldn't have just been like, we're confident what three four three are doing. We are confident they got this. And because of that combination of just the uh, the, the the crowd being the most obnoxious people in the world and Xbox just having no fucking balls to just stick with a fucking artistic vision. We're left with this, where Halo Infinite was this kind of, it was the best of both worlds, right? Even though I would have preferred a direct sequel to Halo 5 and like this more techie sci-fi whatever thing 343 had been doing with Halos 4 and 5, even though I would have been totally happy to just get Halo 6, you know? Even I was so stoked with Halo Infinite because it was the best of both worlds. We've artistically taken it back to what Halo 3 was. We have tried to fundamentally redesign the game to be the modern game Halo needs to be like it was with 4 and 5 but also the game you remember with Halo 3 and they did such an amazing job of doing that 
and the campaign was phenomenal, and the foundation of the multiplayer was so damn fun. Like, don't forget for a fucking second how insanely amazing it was the first time you used the grappling hook in Halo Infinite. This game is fundamentally phenomenal. It was lacking in content, but the promising aspect was it's a live service game, and eventually they'll get there. And, I mean, I guess that's where we get down to the problem of, of Microsoft and the mismanagement of the studio, which is... I, I still don't believe Slipspace is the engine, and I, or is, is the engine. It is the engine. I still don't believe Slipspace is the problem here. I, I just... Again, it's like, I understand Bloomberg has some, probably some really reliable quotes from people who've worked at, at 343, but the fact of the matter is, you can't tell me the engine was the first and foremost, foremost problem, and not the fact that they don't have a complete 100% full-time staff dedicated to working on this game in all verticals, top to bottom, for years on end. Maybe the problem is that Unreal Engine is this generic engine that is completely powerful and awesome and it's a really capable, awesome engine, right? But it's this kind of generic, easily accessible, everyone's familiar with it kind of engine that, yeah, Halo would be easier on Unreal because all these fucking, like, 10-month temporary developers that you're putting on the project and then laying off would be much more productive working in a... In, a, in an engine that, that everyone speaks. It's a language everyone speaks. Everyone in this field knows Unreal. But if you had a dedicated, full-time, top-to-bottom, official 343 development team, you would have a bunch of people who learn and know and grow to speak Slipspace and know Slipspace inside and out, top-to-bottom, in a way that it doesn't need to be the most universally understood uh, um, uh, engine of all time. We just need 343 to know it because it's their fucking engine. But when you have temporary people constantly cycling in and out, they have to work on Halo while also learning Slipspace. I don't think Slipspace is the engine. I think the approach to how the game is developed is the engine. Or is, I keep messing up my words, is the problem. So stop. God, I'm sorry to all the people listening who are just like, Jesse is on alcohol today. I'm just very tired. <laughs> but I, I just don't see how, I don't know. Obviously, I'm... I'm not a fly. I'm not. I'm not an employee there. I'm not even a fly on the wall. I don't know. But my assumption still is that everything that's wrong with this game has to do with leadership at Microsoft and not 343 itself. If you had the proper team in place, if you gave them the proper resources and just manage them properly, I, I just. I just don't feel like this would be a thing. Imagine. Imagine like someone's like, okay. You got to figure out how to build a fucking car right now. And you're just like, man, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about cars, but fuck. I, I mean, me and this team of 30 guys got to put together a car. We got to build an engine and, 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 put, and put some shit together and, make, and put on four wheels. And, and we got to make a car happen, right? You might be able to fucking do it with a really big budget and three years and a team of 30 people who can work together constantly and get it done. And you have all the resources and the YouTubes and everything of the world to kind of just figure out and make it happen. But it's going to be 10,000 times harder if every three months of your fucking process of trying to figure out how a car is made, you're being told, oh, yeah, seven members of your team are being taken off the project. And here's seven new random fucking people who also know nothing about cars. Good luck. Fuck you. And that's kind of like what Halo Infinite is. I, again, I just I don't know that slip space is the issue. I feel like it's the approach to how the team was managed and and staffed. And I just I just refuse to kind of believe it's anything other than that at this point because slip space is a brand new engine built from the ground up for Halo Infinite. 
based on the legacy features and engine of the the Halo engine that Bungie had built back in the 90s. So yeah, I understand there's a lot of old DNA and old stuff into this engine. And, and, and yeah, I guess it's totally possible that they built Slip Space because they wanted to make something that was easier, more accessible, and more understandable for a modern game development space. And maybe what they came up with was actually just as complicated, if not maybe even more complicated. I don't know. That, that It's possible that that's a real story, and that's that's the story of Slip Space. But Bro, they, they they made Halo Infinite. I've played the fucking game. I've beaten the campaign. i put 150 hours into the multiplayer. I am telling you, they know how to work with Slip Space. I don't buy this. Like, I, I want to know, like, I, I, don't, I don't, and that's no disrespect to, like, Jason Schreier or Bloomberg or the team that put this story together because I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say they have bad quotes or bad sources here, but, like, I, I really question this attitude of, like, where they say they had extraction and assault mode basically ready to go, but the reason they're yet to be put in the game is because they're having issues with the engine. Like, all due respect, I don't fucking believe you. (laughs) You got Forge up and running in this game beautifully, and um, that's a lot more challenging than adding assault mode into the game, you know? It's like you have a bunch of different multiplayer modes in this game, that that exists no problem. I just I just find it hard to believe the engine is the issue. I just don't I I just don't believe it, man. Uh, I don't I don't really know how else to put it. But apparently the rumor is this Tatanka project that was originally at one point supposed to be, and, and we can go back even further than what Windows Central has reported because as the rumor goes, if you, if you're willing to go back in time to like 2017, there was supposed to be a battle royale mode introduced to halo 5 that's how long battle royale and halo have been in the conversation and i don't know maybe that was supposed to be like 343 had made a battle royale mode for halo 5 and scrapped it and then certain affinity took the idea and began a new battle royale mode from scratch for halo infinite i don't know maybe that's how it goes but the idea of a battle royale mode coming to halo has been in some form or fashion in the works for like six years at this point since halo 5 and so Halo 5 ended up not getting that Battle Royale mode. It became a Halo Infinite project. That's fine. We understand. That's cool. But now it seems like this might not even be a part of Halo Infinite. This might just be its own standalone project or it might be part of the next Halo game. And the whole thing might be an Unreal Engine. And the next Halo game might be an Unreal Engine. And we're starting from square one. And we don't even have a team working on single player content. So that means we might not even be looking at another Halo game until like, I don't know, what year is it now? 2023? Okay. 2027? 2028? What the fuck is happening? Games take on average like five years to make these days. If it's an Xbox game, it takes on average like eight years to make. So you're, you're just telling me that we might not see another Halo game until like 2028 or 2030? Dude, forget about freaking uh, um, Battle Royale at that point. Battle Royale is going to be a thing of the past by 2030, okay? I like you, you. You can already see Battle Royale to some extent. It's kind of starting to wane. You know, aside from like the mainstays like Fortnite and Apex Legends, it's just. I mean, even even um even Warzone doesn't even Warzone Two doesn't even have the hype around it that Warzone One had. I'm sure it's doing absurdly well, but it's not. You know, it's not the the thing that's making the world stop and, and look at gaming all of a sudden. It's just. I don't know, man. Like, what, what, what is the plan at this point? They don't even have a plan. That, that's what this reveals to me more than anything. Is there's just there's no vision. There's no plan for Halo. They don't respect the engine. They don't respect 
the team at 343 certainly they don't respect and, the, and I guess by they I mean Microsoft they don't respect the narrative of the Halo universe the wor- the universe world building of Halo they don't respect any of that shit they clearly don't give a fuck and I guess now Halo is just kind of because at this point like you just gotta let Halo fucking die at this point I like if this is where we're gonna be you you got rid of all the single player team and you're switching the game over to Unreal Engine, and you're basically starting over again, and we're making the next Halo game, just do us all a favor and fucking kill Halo, at least for a decade. Just don't just don't even make a Halo game for a decade. And I don't mean, like, release a Halo game 10 years from now. I mean, like, don't even think about trying to develop another Halo game for another 10 years. Like, just put the game... Don't, don't even put it on ice. Just bury it in the fucking ground. And then dig up the skeleton in 10 years, maybe, and we'll talk. Like, I don't... What does it even matter at anymore? Because Halo Infinite it does this little dance where it's like, it kind of skips over what happens after Halo 5, but it kind of alludes to something happened, and maybe one way or another we'll find out, but it's a live service game that's supposed to go on for 10 years, and all this story DLC is probably going to fill in those gaps and tell us that story over time, and I cannot wait to see what happens. We went from, like... I can I can deal with this betrayal of Halo 5's narrative because I think they're going to find a tasteful way to handle it to now it's like, okay, so they betrayed Halo 5's story with Halo Infinite and now they're betraying Halo Infinite's story with whatever's next. You know, just fuck it. You don't even care about the Halo story. You got that god-awful fucking Halo TV show which is going to keep going while the games just suffer in eternal ter- turmoil and it's just, I like, who cares, dude? Just, just fucking let it go at this point. Let 343 whatever's left of them at this point just go make a different game just go do something else i don't give a shit just go just go make another freaking souls game we'll just get another goddamn souls game who gives a shit why don't you reach out to disney and get some stupid star wars ip they can make some stupid game about baby yoda and we can just we can all just be happy you can sell seven billion copies of that if you can get the game out in under 45 years and then like i I guess that's where we are with halo it's just it just breaks my heart this is it's not even about, like, Halo's the, the flagship IP of Xbox. Like, yeah, that is true, and it is sad how they've mismanaged the whole thing. And and by mismanaged, I, I mean they just haven't fucking given 343 the, the space and the resources to do what they need to do. What, what makes me so sad is that I, st- I believe in 343. They are capable. They are competent. Have they made mistakes? Of course. Did we all feel a little more comfortable with having people like Joseph State in there? Yeah, but... I truly believe, you know, if 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 the world wasn't all about bending to the will of the shittiest fans on earth or Microsoft just thinking that money can solve all problems and you don't have to really invest and properly manage a team, maybe Halo wouldn't be in the situation it's in right now because 4 was an awesome game, 5 was an even better game, Infinite was a very different game that was also very, very good, and now we're just kind of throwing all that shit out the window and I don't know, I guess we're making a fucking... We're going we're gonna to spend the next year or two trying to figure out how to build Halo in Unreal Engine and then make some Battle Royale game into some makeshift sequel that may or may not explore what happens next in the storyline. And meanwhile, 95 people lost their job at 343, and mostly <laughs> that entails people who are working on the single player. So it's sad. It, sound, it sounds like with where we are now, like, so let, let's wrap this up. So, like, where are we now? I think this kind of puts us in a situation where we can assume Halo Infinite is just going to kind of limp on for another year or two. Um, it will have a season three, a season four, maybe a season five and six. Um, they'll add a couple more maps. They'll add maybe another weapon or two, another uh, another um, equipment item or two, um, you know, some more cosmetics, shit to buy in the store. But essentially, this game is over. This <laughs> It's done. <laughs> this game that launched was so much promise, such an amazing start. 
Um, kind of flandered a bit throughout last year, but towards the end of the year really kind of got back on track and I think is in a place now where it can be a great game. Um, it's just now going to be kind of just bled out. And it's it, it sucks because I, I, I'm, I'm here to say Halo Infinite is a phenomenal game. People are annoying and they have way too much time on their hands and everyone's just out there on the internet, on YouTube and Twitter, chasing clout, trying to build a fucking brand for themselves. And so you just got a bunch of people who are constantly talking in circles about if, if you were in charge of Xbox, how would you fix Halo? What would you do to 343? Fire 343. Bonnie Ross needs to get loser job. Great. I hope you guys feel great because now we're just left with a fucking pile of ashes mixed with dog poop. And that's what Halo is left with. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's so shitty. And we'll pick back up on the story a little bit because when we get to the comments, a lot of people had things to say about Halo and rightfully so, understandably so. But um, actually, I guess let's, let's talk about our next news story, which is a little bit of a, you know, we don't have to go into it as deep, but uh, it's Halo related, which is uh, another longtime 343 veteran, someone who is just so essential to the identity of 343 has left the studio. Kiki Wolfkill, formerly head of Halo Transmedia and Entertainment, so books, TV, all that shit, has left 343 and has seemingly left the studio for another role at Xbox. So she's still with Xbox, just not at Halo anymore. That is according to a, her LinkedIn profile, which states that she left Halo uh, this past month in January. Kiki Wolfkill had been working at 343 since 2008, initially joining as an executive producer on Halo 4 before spending eight years in her most recent role, where she recently oversaw the launch of the Halo TV show, which I know... The Halo TV show blows, but, I mean, she had a big hand on some other 343 shit that didn't blow, so. Wolfkill is still employed at 343's parent company, Microsoft, with her LinkedIn profile stating that she's been working on, uh, um, as the head of Xbox IP expansion and entertainment for the past three months, okay? In an update for, uh, from VGC, they wrote that Wolfkill remains an executive producer on the Halo TV series and is expanding her role to encompass all Xbox IPs. Wolfkill's departure happened months before the recent mass layoffs at Microsoft, of which 343 was reportedly hit hard. I almost met Kiki Wolfkill once. She came into my, my, my job like three or four years ago <laughs> where I was working at the time. Um, it was right next door to the um, convention center where that that year's Microsoft Ignite event happened, and uh, she was there, and uh, she was like, uh, I was in a hotel, and she was like right there in the lobby, and I was like, I think that's Kiki Wolfkill, and she had a Microsoft employee badge on, I'm like, I'm like 98% sure that's Kiki Wolfkill, and then I never talked to her, but that was her, and I'm pretty sure, I'm like, ha, that's the closest I'll ever come to, to, to be able to meet someone who works on Halo and be like, hey, you should make Mike you should make Microsoft Chief uh fight Cortana instead of instead of just erasing the entire fucking narrative of Halo 5, please and thank you. And then I guess she went on to make to help to help make that god awful Halo TV show that we got last year instead. So I, I hope we all feel great knowing that we're gonna get a season two of that that miserable Paramount TV show. Uh but Halo Infinite is is just dead because um I don't know. Because Microsoft's inept with their own studios and because fanboys are the absolute worst. But I don't know. I have nothing else to say. Does it surprise anyone that this this essential uh, part of 343 is just completely dead? That everyone's gone and that... I don't know. Could you... like? Let me, let me just end with this. Go back a year ago to the beginning of 2022. Halo Infinite just launched. We're in season one. We're all high on how great the campaign was. And the foundation of the multiplayer is really fantastic. Really excited about... We're all really excited about where the game is headed and 
Would you believe me if I said, oh, a year from now, 343 is going to be completely fucking gutted. No one's going to be there anymore. Everyone's everyone's abandoning ship. Uh, The live service element of this game is canceled. All the single player content is being canceled. And we're getting conflicting reports every other day about the game being switched over to the Unreal Engine from from Slipspace. Would you even believe me? Like, this is insane. What a fast and crazy turn for the worst this whole situation has taken. I just... Dude, it bums me out. I, I, don't, I don't like being negative and, and just a salty bitch about this all day, but it really does bum me out so much to see this be the way Halo is being treated because, you know, 343 have not been perfect over the past three games they've made over the past, what has it been, the hell, 15 years that they've been working on Halo, but they have been, in my opinion, an absolute net positive. They have been, in my opinion, exactly what the Halo franchise needs and i have thoroughly enjoyed halo under their leadership these past um these past 10 plus years since halo 4 came out and that just everything about this situation like i'm not i'm not even gonna try to be like i'm i'm done making fun of the fanboys and the uh and microsoft's inept leadership but I'm, i'm just gonna say as a as a big fan of halo as someone who is really on board with pretty much everything that halo has been for a very very long time and was constantly scratching my head through the Halo 4 and 5 days saying, I don't know what you guys are so upset about. These games are really awesome. Um, this just honestly just just kind of really breaks my heart. It just makes me sad that this is kind of where we are with Halo, that Microsoft has no creative integrity. They have no backbone. They have no leadership skills. You know, you can be as fucking, you can be wealthy enough to, to drop $69 billion on Activision, but you can't be savvy enough to lead a single fucking team that holds the keys to your most important video game IP ever that you'll ever have, or that I shouldn't say that you'll ever have that you've ever had. And you've been around for over 20 years at this point. So there's our halo news for the week. Hopefully we don't have to, every time we hear halo news, it's bad news. So hopefully we just don't hear halo news for a pretty long time. <sighs> Let's move on with some bad news uh, again, because this, this is just how the week is going. <laughs> I'm sorry. I promise. Uh, let, me, let me, let me scroll through and see if any new news comes, any good news comes. Um, we, our last, our last story of the week is, is good news. So our last big story of the, of the news is of the week is good. So just, just hang on. Let's get through this, uh, this other sad, unfortunate news. Uh, we're next up, you know, not, not so bad, I guess, for all of us listening. I know most of the listenership of this uh, podcast are in North America or Europe, but bad news. Nonetheless, if you are a uh, Xbox fan and you live in Japan, fuck you. Microsoft have announced that they plan to increase the price of the Xbox Series X and S consoles in Japan. Beginning on February 17th, the Series X will see a suggested retail price rise from 54,978 yen to 59,978 yen, which is basically a jump from about 420 bucks to 460 bucks. The Series S is also increasing from 32,278 yen to 37,978 yen. Again, that's $247 jump from, sorry, a jump from $247 roughly to about $291, bringing these consoles a little more in line with kind of how they're priced here in like North America. Uh, in a statement from Gamitsu, Microsoft said that after careful evaluation of the market conditions in Japan, they decided to change the suggested retail price of the console in the country. We regularly evaluate the impact of local pricing to maintain reasonable consistency across regions. The price revisions affect the customers, and that was a a decision that was difficult to make. But going forward, we will continue to provide an ultimate Xbox experience for our customers. 
Head of Xbox CEO of Gaming Phil Spencer previously hinted that Xbox prices could increase in the future. Speaking to Wall Street Journal and Tech Live last year, uh, Xbox's boss discussed the console's price point, as well as he said the prospect, uh, or as well as the prospect of charging seventy bucks for games, something that most third-party publishers were rarely doing at the time. And now we're at a point in time where uh, even Xbox has has begun to do that. So. Listen, this isn't, I don't think this is as woe as me as a lot of people did make it out to be this week, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like a price increase is anything but bad news, you know, for consumers. And that's really all I give a shit about. Microsoft is fine whether or not they're making the extra money here or there. This this sucks for consumers. Japan's already a tough market for Xbox. The, The newer consoles have been doing substantially better in that market than Xbox has done in a long time. Uh, we finally just got a really awesome uh, first-party Japanese-developed game for Xbox, and I guess we're celebrating it by raising the prices of the consoles in that country. So I understand, uh, or from what I understand, Japan's inflation is like particularly rough right now, and so I'm sure that has everything to do with this decision. And I understand it's like, well, it just brings the pricing kind of a little bit more in line with where it is globally. Japan was kind of seems to have been getting a little bit better of a deal relative to some other parts of the world on these consoles to begin with. But listen, man, it's just shitty. If you if you are saving up for or hoping to plan or plan on one day getting a console um, and the price goes up, that's 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 unfortunate. Like, for example, you know. I live in the U.S. I, I have the luxury of not really having to worry about this as much um, because it seems like the U.S. is that one market all these players want to want to be the most competitive in because it is a very competitive market. This is the market where Xbox has the most competition with Sony or where Sony has the most competition with Xbox, I should say. And so they have both parties have every incentive to make sure they keep the prices as competitive as possible for the Series S and X. You know, it's like I was able to get $50 off a Series S a few months ago and now Japan's about to pay 50 more bucks for a Series S. So that's insane. But um I don't know, like, like an example of me just for relatability's sake is like, I'm trying not to buy a PS5 because I just don't have time for games, gaming as it is the way I wish I did. So why would I want to split up that time even more by not playing all the X, many Xbox games I don't have time for by buying a PS5 and committing myself to another platform? So I'm, I'm trying to stay away from PS5, but there is a part of me that is thinking about how at the end of this year, Spider-Man 2 is going to come to PS5, and I'm not going to have the patience to wait for that game to come to PC. I'm going to want to play that game as soon as it's out on PlayStation 5 immediately. I'm not going to want to wait. And so there's a part of me that's saying, well, gee whiz, I hope PS5 drops in price a little bit by the end of this year so I can buy one and play Spider-Man 2 because usually with PlayStation, I like to buy it once it's two or three years old and get a price drop on it, whereas Xbox is the console I'll buy day one. You know, that's usually how it's gone historically for me. I bought my PS4 two years after it came out and was able to get it for a hundred bucks off plus a a video game bundle. So, you know, good deal, right? So I'm kind of hoping something like that for PS5, but it's kind of shitty that while I'm looking forward to potentially getting a, a, a discount on the PS5 this, this fall season, people who are looking forward to maybe buying an Xbox later this year are looking at a price hike in Japan. That's just such asinine bullshit. You know, if I'm a Japanese consumer and I'm a little like, you know, I'm savvy, I, I see what's in the, you know, I'm into the games industry, I'm like following the news, I'm a little pissed off if I'm seeing that my Series S just went up 50 bucks. Meanwhile, my friends over in the US are getting $50 off a Series S. It's like, what the fuck? How is that fair? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, man. Like this obviously sucks. Um, a lot of people comparing this to when Sony raised the price of the PS5 in a lot of territories, 
except the U.S. And uh, you know what? To me, the sentiment, it, it's its all the same. You know, it's like I saw people being like, well, Xbox is only doing it in one market and they don't even do particularly well in Japan. So it doesn't really matter. It's I don't know. To me, raising the price is kind of a shitty thing to have to do regardless. And I understand they're just trying to keep up with inflation. You know, they have to make this business make business sense. You just can't be selling products at massive losses constantly. You got to make your 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 business viable and somewhat understandable for investors and for for the higher ups at a company and be like listen we get, we got to justify you know why we're selling these Xboxes for so cheap in Japan when inflation's so insanely high i i get it you know it's just an economic reality it's just kind of shitty but to me i i think this this logic this kind of move is no better or no different from what sony had to do with PlayStation 5 um, last summer when they raised the prices in Europe and some markets. Um, so I don't know, man. It sucks. I appreciate that Phil Spencer was kind of open about it, saying, hey, this might we might have to do this in the future. But remember, at the time, Xbox was taking a little bit of a victory lap when, uh, when Sony announced price increases on PS5. They were like, yeah, we don't plan on doing that anytime soon. And it was just kind of like, ooh, burn, Xbox is better than you. But, you know, I guess in Japan, that's not the case. In fact, I think Japan was one of the markets where PlayStation had to raise the price. So maybe Microsoft sees this as still a pretty competitive move. Um, but I don't know. Nonetheless, just obviously not, not great. All right. And here's the here's the last bad news story we have to talk about this week. Let me double check. Yeah, this is no. Well, the next one. Let's just talk about this one because this one breaks my heart. I need to stop making definitive statements because I keep looking like a dumbass. VGC relays. Oh my god, everything I love in the first-person shooter genre sucks now. EA has reportedly canceled a new single-player game set in the Titanfall slash Apex Legends universe. According to Bloomberg, but this one's paywalled, so I had to use VGC, the game was in development at EA Re Studio Respawn Entertainment, where the team of about 50 people had worked on the game. Codenamed Titanfall Legends, the project was reportedly being led by creative director Mohamed Alavi, who until he, uh, sorry, until he left the company in January of last year. Respawn and announced that in July of 2021 that they were developing a new single-player adventure game set in a unique universe, which Alavi was attached to. However, when the senior designer on the Titanfall series and narrative designer on the Apex Legends uh, series during his 11-year spell at Respawn left, uh, prior to that, he spent seven... Sorry, however, he, he left after 11 years at Respawn. Prior to that, he spent seven years at Infinity Award where he designed iconic Call of Duty missions, including No Russian and All Gillied Up. You know, like... The most iconic missions in, in the Modern Warfare series. Following his departure, it was claimed that Respawn Entertainment's uh, game was a first-person shooter built around mobility and style that was planned to release by 2025. News of the game's cancellation was reportedly announced internally by EA on Wednesday. At the same time, EA publicly announced that the cancellation of Apex Legends Mobile and Battlefield Mobile um, the former of which was already released. So my heart is completely broken thinking about this because I, I think uh, aside from... It seems like the creative lead, the visionary of this project left, and that kind of made the whole thing crumble. But I can't help but think about how Vin Zampella, head of Respawn, has been spread so incredibly thin with his leadership. He's ne he's never been like, he doesn't seem to be like a, a boots on the ground, like lead developer or anything, but he seems to have been kind of the visionary lead for Infinity Ward and then into Respawn as he left to go form that. And... We know in recent years he's been kind of EA's looked in as kind of like their, their kind of like their their guy, you know, their 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 jack of all trades guy, where they're going to make him run a bunch of studios. Now he's overseeing 
Battlefield. He's overseeing Titanfall and Apex Legends. He's overseeing that new team in Southern California. He's got a lot of teams under his leadership. And I, I think this is where you start to see the negative aspect of that move where I feel like if we lived in a world where Respawn Entertainment wasn't busy making Star Wars games and wasn't busy having its leadership spread over Battlefield and all this other shit, and they were just kind of left to continue to be the Apex Legends and Titanfall guys and be that one team, even without someone like Muhammad Alavi, you might still be able to bring this game to fruition because you could still have a unified team set on building this Titanfall Apex Legends crossover type game, which sounds phenomenal, by the way. Remember, initially, Apex Legends was set in the Titanfall universe and then became so popular that it's just like Titanfall who? And now it's kind of more like Titanfall exists in the Apex Legends universe, if you want to look at it that way. But the idea of trying to find a way to give us another Titanfall-like game, but tie it into Apex Legends a little more closely, I think it's ingenious because the problem with Titanfall is as incredible as those two games were, it just it just wasn't taking off the way that they had hoped. And so if you can make another phenomenal Titanfall game, but have the ability to market it as an Apex Legends game, you might you might solve the issue of we have this phenomenal game series, but people won't pay attention to it, which is the problem they had with with uh with Titanfall and I and I know the age old story that everyone likes to reference in the fall of 2016, uh, EA shot Titanfall two in the foot by releasing it sandwiched between Battlefield one and Call of Duty Infinite Warfare and I know I know as the story goes I'm sure that has a huge role to play in why this game just ended up the way it did but at the same time Titanfall was somewhat of a struggling IP and I th- and even though the first one did incredibly well on the Xbox as a launch window game for the Xbox One. And in a PC game as well, there, there's no denying, in my opinion at least, um, that a large part of what really set Titanfall up to fail from the get was that the first game was not on PlayStation, and the series was introduced and released and put on Xbox in a time where PlayStation was v cool and Xbox was v lame, and I think that has so much to do with that. I think that kind of made the reputation for the franchise from the start. And then on top of that, when they finally made a sequel, the sequel got sandwiched in between a bunch of other games that fucked up its chance of getting a spotlight, even though it was finally on PlayStation. And between that one-two punch, Titanfall was done for. Um, So the fact that, you know, we've known for years that there's a potential for some kind of Titanfall Apex Legends thing and that Apex Legends is technically in the Titanfall universe, the fact that we're now learning that Essentially, this 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 game that is, for all intents and purposes, our Titanfall three, <laughs> is, is now is now axed, despite the fact that they could have tied it into Apex Legends, and we don't know. Maybe there's like some narratively just wasn't coming together, or like the the ideas they had, they just couldn't find a way to really tie these two things together. Because even though on paper they're part of the same universe, in reality they're both so different from one another. Who knows? There's a whole you know for Muhammad Alavi to have just left Respawn Entertainment altogether. You know, it, it's very possible that there were more issues um, that the project was sustaining that that he just didn't feel comfortable trying to put his name on and and lead because he just found it to be irreparable unrepairable at that point who knows there's a million ways this could have been interpreted or construed but just dude i mean god damn it dude we're not gonna halo is just basically just 
uh, 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 left out to dry. Just left. Halo's basically just been left out to dry. Um, we were going to get some kind of Titanfall sequel. And now that's just not happening. Uh, again, fuck you, EA. Um, like, man, I just don't. I don't know what to say at this point. It just feels like uh, it's not a good time to be a first-person shooter fan unless you exclusively like Call of Duty. And that's and, and I'm talking about as far as these like Call of Duty Halo style like linear first-person shooters with with a campaign and multiplayer kind of that traditional setup. I'm not talking about your freaking um, open world first person shooting, whatever, everything else, like everything else is. But I don't know, man, this again, I'm, I'm, I'm operating this week with a with a broken heart when it comes to gaming. Not a good week. You know, we got layoffs one week, Xbox showcase. Everything is delayed and canceled and put on ice. Maybe next week we got some good news. Maybe next week, you know, little Reggie Fizeme is gonna come be the head of Xbox and and uh, you know, you know, help 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 Phil Spencer get everything to shape. I don't know. You know, maybe uh, Microsoft acquires Denny's and puts the Grand Slam into Game Pass. I don't know. Maybe. So I'm I'm hoping for some good news because so far this week is just breaking my heart, man. I want I want that Titanfall sequel. When when I think about. When I think about some of those missions in Titanfall 2's campaign and in the hundreds of hours poured into Titanfall multiplayer and just how much I freaking adore that series, I didn't think how we're just never going to get that. And uh, on top of that, Halo is just permanently fucked, apparently. So I, I guess I'm just a Call of Duty fan now. That's the, like that's my one and only shooter series. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just fuck it. Call of Duty is all that's left for me. All right. Let's let's talk about something something positive. Far Cry 7 speaking about open world checkbox style first person shooter games. Far Cry 7 is apparently in development as a as a standalone Far or sorry, in addition to that a standalone Far Cry multiplayer game is also reportedly in development over at Ubisoft. According to reports from Kotaku and Inside Gaming uh, with informer with a with a former claiming that Ubisoft's CEO Yves Gilmont mentioned both games during an internal company update last week. Sources also told the site's that uh, Far Cry 7 is being made with Ubisoft's Snowdrop engine rather than the Dunia engine used for the recent series entries. Snowdrop powers Ubisoft's massive, uh, Ubisoft Massive's The Division series as well as the studio's upcoming Avatar Frontiers of Pandora and its open-world Star Wars game because everything's a Star Wars game now. Uh, according to insider gaming sources, Ubisoft Montreal is working on both new Far Cry games which were originally planned to be part of some the same package. The multiplayer game is currently an extraction-based shooter set in Alaskan wilderness because, you know, why not just make Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Far Cry? Uh, both titles are said to be tentatively scheduled to release in the fall or autumn of 2025, so we're looking at about two years from now. Far Cry 6, which was released in 2021, included an online campaign, but no uh, co-op, but um, but did not have a competitive multiplayer component. Former Far Cry boss Dan Hay left Ubisoft in 2021 after a decade uh, at its Montreal studio where he created where he's credited with overseeing the series during its most pro- uh, prosperous period he's now headed up Blizzard's new survival game that was announced in 2022 Ubisoft said that the month Ubisoft said this past month that they canceled three unannounced games and were planning to strengthen its focus on the biggest brands and live services following a uh, weekend weaker than expected software sales over the holiday so this this uh this doesn't uh, surprise me in the least bit because Right now, Ubisoft is hurting, and they're having a hard time finding some good success. They want a game as a service. The thing to keep in mind is, despite all the uh, not good experiences Ubisoft's been having with sales, the last games they released, um, Assassin's Creed, Ragnarok, no, was it Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and in um, Far Cry Six, 
Both of those games sold insanely well. Millions and millions of copies. Far Cry 6 was a smash hit from a sales perspective. And I think Ubisoft is looking at this and saying, okay, we're trying to figure out where we're going now. Things are rough. We're trying to do all these free-to-play uh, games, and these weren't panning out. We tried to do all these uh, all these new ideas, these X-Defiant type games, and all that didn't work out, and whatever. They had to basically just uh, pull the plug on so much that they were working on. But to keep themselves kind of constant and to keep something going right, I think they, they found themselves in a situation where they're like, hey, we have to... We have to lean hard on old reliable, which is why last year we got the announcement of like 57 different Assassin's Creed games. And it's why, you know, this Far Cry project is going to be a multiplayer component and a campaign component released separately instead of just the next Far Cry game. Because Ubisoft needs some surefire successes, and I think they feel like they can get that out of Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. And that's why we're looking at an inevitable Far Cry 7, which don't get me wrong, I'm excited for. I like Far Cry. I think it's a steady, reliable, good time pretty much every time, although... Albeit a little a little bit redundant and and uninspired at this point, but always a good time nonetheless. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what they can do with the multiplayer game. Although the idea of an extraction based game does make me sad, because keep in mind, Far Cry used to have some pretty good multiplayer. It used to have a custom games creator. It was kind of like Far Cry Forge mode, and it was actually like I, I think about Far Cry Four was the one I spent the most time playing around with that mode in, and that shit was actually really good. People would make some really fun games and some really cool maps in Far Cry with that. So to think that that's not something we're getting back, we're just getting some kind of team-based, extraction-based mode, I don't know. That, that seems kind of lame, but um, at this point, I can't really fault Ubisoft. I think they're just so desperate to try and get something multiplayer off the ground, some kind of live service thing, and they're really hoping that their popular franchises like Far Cry might be able to extend into those into those kinds of uh, genres and, and gaming trends and maybe supply them with a moderate success. <laughs> I think that's really where they're going. And, and, and Assassin's Creed is the one I think it's hardest for them to try and make something out of outside of you know just an open world RPG or the kind of traditional game that you, Assassin's Creed used to be. But other than that, any any IP and every IP that Ubisoft has, they're like, what can we do with multiplayer with this thing? And so Far Cry is getting two new games, a safe bet, Far Cry 7, and another experimental multiplayer project with this extraction-based Far Cry multiplayer game, which I don't know. I really don't. I don't give a shit based on the, the idea of that. But, you know, we'll reserve judgment, I guess. We'll probably see some of that in the next year and a half, two years. And I guess then we can talk about further. But Assassin's Creed set or Far Cry Seven. Hey, I'm all here for. So I got no problem with that. I'll, I'll look forward to playing that. So there's our update. Uh, with some good news. Hey, a game was announced. You know, that's good news. No one, no one got fired and then stripped of all their fucking talent and uh, and then had the, your favorite video game series put on ice. Hey, at least Sonic's doing well, right? Sonic Frontiers came out a few months ago. A, a, a insanely great game, especially by modern Sonic standards. So at least Sonic, you know, if Halo can't be doing well, at least Sonic's doing well. That's all I got to say about that. All right, this next one, this kind of belonged at the top of the show. I don't know why I put it here, but um, the games industry likes to do this thing where they're like, Xbox boss says blah, blah, blah about blah, 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 I guess, because Phil Spencer kind of talks more than the other leads at, at these various out, uh, game gaming platforms. So um, anyways, we got a couple of quotes from Phil Spencer this week. I don't know why I put them here. I don't really think it belongs here. But nonetheless, I'm just going to read these, and I don't think we're going to say anything about it, but let's just read them and see if there's anything to really gather out of them. Generally, I find a lot of these Phil Spencer quotes are just, you know, n nothing against him, but um, generally I find a lot of them to just be like, 
you know, someone heard Phil Spencer said something or like, hey, we need news. Let's put that up. But um, he was on a, um, I think he was on, he was in an interview with IGN. I don't know if he was on their podcast, Unlocked podcast with Ryan McCaffrey, or if maybe he, it was just a, a an interview he did with IGN. But uh, nonetheless, he spoke with IGN and we got some news out of it. So uh, here's a transcription of that stuff from VGC because I guess I just don't use IGN anymore. No disrespect. Love IGN or love, used to love IGN. But anyway, here's the news. Microsoft's head of gaming, CEO of gaming, claims that 343 is critically important to the success of Halo despite a recent wave of job cuts. Speaking in an interview with IGN, Xbox boss Phil Spencer reflected on the turbulent past few weeks for the Halo developer, which resulted in the studio having to tweet reassurance that it will continue to work on the franchise despite the uh, Fire 343 bullshit going around. Anyway, Phil says, quote, What we're doing now is we want to make sure that the leadership team is set up with the flexibility to build the plan they need to go build. And Halo will remain critically important to Xbox to what Xbox is doing, and 343 is critically important to the success of Halo. And quote, also in the interview with IGN, Phil Spencer took the blame for last year's light release uh, schedule for first-party content, but said that he feels good about the next 12 months and uh, for Game Pass on PC and consoles, saying, quote, our commitment to our fans is that we need to have a steady release of great games for people to play on our platform, and we didn't do enough of that in 2022, there's no doubt. And fundamentally, it's on me. I'm the head of the business. The commitments we have to our customers to continue to deliver great games is something I take seriously. The teams take it seriously. Our 2022 offering was too light in games. We're excited about the rollout in 2023, however. Having the developer direct, I felt really good about the games that were shown, and also knowing that Starfield is a game that we're going to highlight on its own show, and that just start that's just the start of 2023 with good momentum. Or sorry, and then just start off 2023 with good momentum. Like you said, I think we needed it. And that is the quote. So... Basically, Phil just, you know, I think a few years ago, I would have been like, good guy, Phil, this is awesome. He's just taking ownership of, you know, something that's obviously not right at Xbox. And, and you know, to Phil's credit, I don't dislike Phil. I don't want to make it come across like I hate Phil Spencer or something. I, I do appreciate that he he steps up to the plate and he goes, yeah, Xbox had a lackluster year last year. You know whose fault that is? It's my fault. I'm, I'm the boss. The buck stops with me. I do appreciate that. I do I, I do think Phil Spencer, um, for the most part, is an earnest man. You know, about as about about as sincere and earnest as 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 like a, a CEO or a suit type figure can get. Um, I, I I generally you know like Phil Spencer and I and I, I try I, I want to be respectful. Um, but I just read this stuff now. And I'm just like, yeah, man, whatever. Like you've been in charge of Xbox for so long. Xbox has had so many games announced and in development for so long. I'm like, I uh, like, I, I get it. I get it. You take responsibility. Now, wh- wh- when is this going to stop happening? Cause I feel like it's always like two rough years at Xbox, one surprisingly not so bad year, then another rough year at Xbox then a decent one. It's just like, when are we going to get into that, that cadence? When are we going to get that rhythm of just like, okay, we're, we're having consistently, you know, some years are going to be better than others. It's just always going to be the case, but when are we going to consistently just have reasonable years of release content? Like that's, that's what we're waiting for. You, you own like 98% of the games industry at this point, And then Tencent has the rest. Like, come on, just like whatever. And then with the, the quote with 343, I, it's just, let me uh, tap into my inner white girl and say that I, I just cannot even because, I don't know, this quote actually to me kind of says the, um kind of says the, 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 confirms like the, the murmurings, the rumors of 343 is going to kind of shepherd the Halo IP, but they're not necessarily always going to be making the games. And, you know, if that's the case, it sounds like what they're doing is they're trying to break down 343 to become 
kind of like what the initiative is, which, you know, if my new understanding of the initiative is to be believed is correct, I guess the way we, we started talking about the initiative as of last year is that it is a small team of like less than 100 people that are like the core identity of the studio that come up with an idea for a game. They shepherd the IP or the franchise or the narrative. They kind of put the, the idea together and then they go out and they get the appropriate partners and talent to help develop the project. So Perfect Dark is not fully being made by the initiative. The initiative are kind of the leaders and the spearhead of that project, but then they're going to to outsource some development efforts from people like Crystal Dynamics to build that game. And that potentially that is kind of what 343 is becoming with Halo, where they are the Halo guys that will come up with the ideas for where the narrative is going and what the next game should be, what we should do with Halo. However, they might go out and recruit some help. You know, oh, we, you know, the guys from it are going to help us build out this next Halo game. And, you know, they'll have their small team at 343 work alongside this developer or that developer to build this narrative or that narrative or this idea for a game or that idea because they're kind of the the shepherds of the brand. They're a small core team, but they are not the entirety of who is going to work on Halo going forward. They're going to be kind of the foundation and they're going to get the other pieces of the puzzle, the other tools to kind of build out these various outfits of Halo games. And listen, I don't even necessarily think this is a terrible way to structure and run a company. Um, Xbox seems to like this idea a lot. And I think this is the future of gaming and they, you know, Matt Booty and Phil Spencer and these guys would obviously know way better than I do, whether or not that, that is a good idea or that's where the industry is headed. But, um, and it does feel like there is some magic. There is some charm lost in not having kind of the classic old school style of there is one team that is fundamentally that is the this this cohesive unit this family this culture that develops this IP or this game or this product and to know that games are made more in a space now where it's like yeah a bunch of teams work together you know like boot up a Call of Duty game it's like yeah Infinity Ward made Modern Warfare 2 but you'll see 47 other developer names splash on that screen when you boot up the game because that's just kind of how games are made now it's like this team takes on this little chunk this team takes on this little chunk you guys specialize in this you specialize in that and that's just kind of how the cookies made the cake is made these days um but i don't know man like i just again it's it's a little disheartening to see 343 kind of be put in that spot. Maybe at the end of the day, this will be all for the better. This is what 343 needs, is what Halo needs, is what Xbox needs. I don't know. But as of where we are right now, while the wounds are fresh and, and the Halo news is 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 despondent, I think, uh, I don't know. There's just It just seems like there's a little bit of a magic lost. I want, I want there to be a fully staffed, full-time, properly put together, well-cultivated team that has a identifiable culture so that when they make a product, you know, you pick up and you can feel it. Like that is a game from these guys, you know, you can play an old Halo game and you can feel that this is a bungee game. I I argue you could pick up Halo four and five and say, this is no doubt a three, four, three game. This feels like a three, four, three game. And I think Halo infinite feels largely like that as well. Although a little less, um, a little less so compared to maybe four and five, but but anyway, that's really it for this week, you guys. Uh, last thing, I guess, uh, Microsoft have revealed the February 2023 Games of Gold. Obviously, they're already at the time you're listening to this. So remember, Games of Gold is only two games a month now instead of four. So for Xbox One and Series X, subscribers will be able to claim For the King 
a $25 game for the entire month of February, as well as Guts and Goals, which is a $15 game generally. Um, they'll be able to get it from February 16th to March 15th. So go ahead and download your new games with gold. Um, and uh, that's really it for our news this week, you guys. Let's uh, jump into our important enough story. Story is important enough to make the podcast, but not necessarily important enough to warn their own discussion. We got about, I think, like four or five of them. So let's just run through them real fast. The first one is that Amazon is reportedly aspiring to turn Tomb Raider into a Marvel-like franchise. We kind of talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but this is actually confirmed information as opposed, or, or a more concrete report, not confirmed information, as opposed to just the licensing rumor that is going around. Um, but anyway, they're talking about games, film, and TV show all being interconnected uh, with Amazon Games, Amazon Prime Video, etc. So they'll be publishing the next Tomb Raider game, as we already knew. Um, being developed by Crystal Dynamics, even though owned by Embracer. Uh, this is according to reporting from The Hollywood Reporter. So uh, I don't know. I got nothing to say other than I'm just sad. The The Tomb Raider movie and TV series is already in development. And uh, the, so we got a Tomb Raider TV series, a Tomb Raider movie, and a Tomb Raider game all in development right now. Uh, announced, and I, I don't even think that movie is related to the other Tomb Raider movie that came out a few years ago. <laughs> anyway. Next up, VGC reports that Rumbleverse, the free-to-play brawler developed by Iron Galaxy and published by Epic Games will shut down at the end of the month. Live service for Rumbleverse will go offline on Tuesday, February 28th at 10 a.m., just six months after the game launched in August of last year. Any players who spent money in Rumbleverse are eligible for refunds. That is uh, really unfortunate that that game had like no time. Maybe if it were on Steam, it would have done better. I don't know. But next up, VGC reports, Electronic Arts has said that FIFA 23 is pacing to be the biggest in the title in the franchise history. EA provide uh, an update on the game's performance as part of the third quarter earnings, saying that it has grown 4%. No, FIFA franchise has grown 4%, uh, as said on a conference call. A lot of that's probably due to the World Cup. Germany have a lot more interest for soccer, but it'll be interesting to see how, how these numbers go next year when the FIFA brand is dropped from EA's soccer series which we know is happening after this year so i'm really curious to see how that plays out uh and then lastly physical sales for ea's dead space remake during its launch week in the uk were apparently less than half of the callisto protocols according to data published by gamesindustry.biz which notes that there are several caveats that should be considered including pre-sale numbers and things like that but the um average cost the average selling price the average selling price for Callisto Protocol during the holiday season was £47 uh, British, while it was uh, 63 for Dead Space Remake, so that may have something to do with it. However, Dead Space was only released for PS5, Xbox Series X, and S, while Callisto Protocol was also available on PS1 and, or sorry, PS1, on PS4 and Xbox One. So that could have a huge part to do with it, but n nonetheless, we all know Callisto Protocol was apparently a sales failure. Uh, against its massive budget and um, unrealistic sales expectations, but it, initial initial uh, data is pointing to you know at least in in, in the UK it may be uh, outselling Dead Space Remake, which is getting considerably higher praise. So that's not necessarily a good thing, but nonetheless something to note, and we will continue to track that sales data and see because I'm pretty curious to see how these games kind of fare against one another sales-wise, considering everyone's really loving Dead Space Remake and uh, Callisto Protocol severely missed the mark in terms of uh, just resonating with audiences. But guys, that's it for all of our news this week. Let's really quick round out with our comments, our shout-outs, 
everything from youtube.com. I say really quick, but we all know this is going to take 40 minutes. You know how it happens. You go over youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast or at Xbox on podcast. We now have 991 subscribers. So we are about to hit our 1000 subscriber mark. So please drop a subscribe over on YouTube. If you can, I'd greatly appreciate it. But this week we have 12 entries to get through. Uh, I'm very excited. You know how it works. If you want to leave a comment, you go over to Xbox, uh, Xbox on podcast on YouTube, click on the latest episode of the podcast, now an older episode and leave a comment, say absolutely anything you want. I don't give a shit. Ask me what I think about the new Samsung phones. I'm uninterested. Ask me what I think about Xbox getting into the, uh, into the, into the, into the animal rescue and conservation industry. I think it's, I don't know. It's a little tired. It's a little hippy dippy if you ask me, but nonetheless, let's start off with our first comment this week from none other than clanky one who is not cronky. And says, Jesse, I appreciate your suggestion last week, but I will not be changing my name anytime soon. You'll just have to live with the fact that Clanky and Cronky are in your chat. I was thinking about how successful a shadow drop of launch for Hi-Fi Rush has been. And it's going. it got me thinking, what game or series do you think would benefit from a shadow drop in 2023? In my mind, I think a Halo Battle... Halo Battle Royale Tatanka would be the uh, perfect candidate, a beautiful shadow drop for players able to dictate the discourse of the game instead of influencers and media outlets. It's harder for outlets to poo-poo a game if the gamers already think it's great, but I'm interested to get your thoughts. So clearly this comment was shortly before this news about Halo uh, from Bloomberg came out, so I understand maybe it's a little bit dated looking now, but nonetheless, Clinky, I think this is a fun... This is a fun conversation. Honestly, I, I, I know it's been talked about. It's been rumored. I think Starfield's um, Shadow Dropped would be a good thing for that game. I understand it's probably not going to happen because that game is such a massive budget title that they have a huge marketing campaign ready for that game. You know, talking about, you know, I, I don't know. Let's assume it comes out in the next couple months advertising that game during like March Madness and during sporting events and baseball when that comes back. And, um, pushing it hard on TV with ads and things like that. I think I think Starfield is going to be a game you really want to get the messaging out with. But the the reason why it might be beneficial to shadow drop a game like Starfield is because one I think a lot of outlets do just seem to, you know, I love PlayStation. I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to incite console wars or anything like that. I love PlayStation. I think PlayStation is an excellent platform. I've always enjoyed PlayStation, but I genuinely do believe there are a lot of gaming outlets out there that definitely have a little bit of a blind preference for Nintendo and Sony and a little bit of a stigma towards Xbox. And so I definitely do think this game will get shit on just a little bit more for being an Xbox exclusive and for not being on PlayStation. So I think shadow dropping this game could help. Like you said, it lets the public decide the narrative before the media can. I also think it would be uh, beneficial for this game because Bethesda games are generally judged and critiqued heavily for their bugginess and how much of a mess that is, which I think is a justifiable way to criticize these games. I think it's warranted, but at the same time, I think sometimes it's overblown how game breaking these kinds of, uh, bugs and things are so to just put the game in people's hands and let them enjoy the game at its best um would be a really good way to drum up positive energy around this game in a world where you know if you do the typical pre-release reviews all that you might just be giving um lots and lots of people lots and lots of reasons to just drum up some uh fake hysteria over this game and i think that would make this game a good candidate for that. Other than that, man, I gotta be honest. I don't. I'm not. I'm not creative enough to really know like what a good answer to this would be. You know. I think generally speaking, the games that can benefit most 
from a shadow drop type um, release would be free to play games. Like it worked out famously so well for Apex Legends because people were going to make fun of that for being a shameless cash grabby EA free to play multiplayer game, and also because ah, uh, it's not it's not real Titanfall, it's fake Titanfall, it's just battle royale. We want real Titanfall. So the fact that Titanfall just dropped or Apex Legends just dropped and was so good. Uh, it is a really good game. I, I think kind of shut people right the fuck up. And so that kind of logic, I think, is really ideal for free-to-play games, games that don't necessarily need a big marketing push because your growth it comes from that word of mouth and from people playing the game and not from you know you selling people on spending $7 on it. So I think Hyenas, that new Sega, certain uh, certain affinity, not certain affinity, creative assembly game, uh, multiplayer first-person shooter or whatever game, that's set to come out this year. I think that could be a really good um, shadow drop title. I think. Yeah, I think other than that, I really can't think of another one that would. Um, the only other two examples I could think of would be well, Hogwarts Legacy, but we're too close to that game's actual launch to where there's not only no chance in hell it could ever happen, but it just wouldn't make sense at this point. Uh, but Hogwarts Legacy, you know, the benefit to doing that would be getting it out of the way of all the. Uh, quote-unquote activist journalists who are going to be poo-pooing the hell out of Hogwarts Legacy because it's a transphobic game and if you enjoy Harry Potter or go to a theme park and ride a Harry Potter ride or play Hogwarts Legacy and have a fun time one Saturday afternoon you suddenly hate trans people and you're suddenly bigoted and a piece of shit so um, I think you know maybe shadow dropping a game like this and just letting rational non-schizophrenic people play this game and uh, just be like, hey, this is a this is a fun game. We like it. It's a good game to play, and you should play it if you like fun games. Um, that might be beneficial for Hogwarts Legacy. But at the same time, I think Hogwarts Legacy is going to do so incredibly well despite the obnoxious losers complaining about the game because at the end of the day, no social conversation, no fake outrage kind of bullshit made up social media-based culture war thing is going to is going to stop just the massive, massive train that is is Harry Potter, this just never-ending stream of just fervor and excitement that people have for this IP. So I, I think this game is going to do great without that. Um, the only other two options I can think of that I would like to say is that could maybe benefit from this are, one, Dead Island 2, because that game's been in development hell for so fucking long and has switched development hands so many times that I don't think anyone expects that game to do well. And so uh, if you could shadow drop that and be like, hey, it's actually a great game and it's out right now, we'll prove it to you. I think maybe you could help turn the narrative around on that a little bit. Actually, by that same exact token, that same merit, Ubisoft Skull and Bones, I think, could maybe benefit that way as well. Because zero out of a billion people in the world, or how many people are in the world? Eight billion people? Zero out of a bi eight billion people give a shit about Skull and Bones. So maybe that game would benefit from something like that. Um, Oh, actually, also X Defiant, which is a really good game that has a terrible name and is just never coming out, could maybe benefit that way. But the other one I was going to say, the other high-profile high game that's already dated that might be able to do well that, that way would be like Diablo 4, just because I think there's going to be a lot of... Diablo fans seem to really hate Blizzard right now, and Blizzard is not in the good graces after that last mobile game. And I think if they could just be like, fuck you, here's Diablo, uh, Diablo 4 right now, I think it might, you know, again, just kind of be like, instead of arguing and complaining about Blizzard, the developer, and things like that, just play our new game. Tell us it's bad. Just play it. 
So I don't know. There's a lot of games that could work for. Um, I think realistically, we're probably not going to really see a whole lot of that. I don't think that's always going to be a common trend, but it is always super nice when it happens. And I think it's a fun thought exercise. So I appreciate your comment. Uh, thank you for the write-in. Next up, HBO recommendation. Redo Vandal says, uh, been forgetting to tell you, but if you really like Nathan for you, watch the rehearsal on HBO Max, LMAO. Uh, yeah, dude, so my sister was recommending that to me. She was saying the same thing. She's like, oh, you like Nathan for you? You got to watch the rehearsal. It's apparently amazing. It's Nathan Fielder's new show that's on HBO. I have not seen it yet, but I really do want to watch it. I appreciate the recommendation. I, I will get to that. that one. I will get to. I don't know when, but I absolutely will because I, I, I have a crush on Nathan Fielder at this point. Another fun thought exercise. Keith L. writes in and says, surprisingly, this week's this week, Apple CEO Tim Cook took a 40% pay cut to ensure employees didn't lose their jobs. Wish Microsoft did the same. Maybe there are good people out there. Um, now on to Xbox Direct. I love it. I love the passion of the devs shown through uh, with every <laughs> shown through. And even my wife, who isn't a fan of gaming, saw me watching it and was intrigued by Forza and Hi-Fi Rush. I think Microsoft should keep doing this format going forward. I agree. Question for you. Sunset Overdrive and Jet Set Radio had a baby called Hi-Fi Rush this week. So what two games mashed together would you put out there into the world? For me, I would do a mix between Tinykin and Hades. Basically a roguelike platformer with upgrades and an amazing art style. That sounds really cool. Cheers from Toronto. Toronto, Canada, Keith, a.k.a. Rocket353, three, three, sorry, 3T5YNT5T. Keith, this, this gamer tag. R0CK3T5YNT5T. There you go. Anyway, thank you for writing in. Uh, really good question. Really fun thought exercise. First of all, side note for Apple. Uh, honestly, the 40% pay cut on Tim Cook so that they don't have to lay off employees. I think it's a lot more of a PR move than anything. I mean, obviously it is good. It's nice to see CEOs who get paid way too much money, maybe take a pay cut. And it's nice to see that more importantly, people didn't lose their jobs. But um, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I think more than anything that from, from Apple was more a way of saying like, Hey, while all these other tech companies lay people off, we could just do some kind of performative move and do a temporary pay cut for our CEO. And, not lay anyone off and it would look really good for us because the money they're saving from Tim Cook taking a 40% pay cut isn't enough to save like 5% of the workforce's jobs the way Microsoft, you know, laid off t what, what fucking 10,000 people. So uh, it's not it's not exactly a one for one, but I don't want to be one of those people who's just insufferable and can't be happy no matter what. Yes, I will give Apple this, even if it is a little performative and it's just kind of to give themselves good PR good on them. They didn't lay people off, which is the most important part. It is nice to see a CEO who's way overpaid, get slightly less way overpaid. And, uh, yeah, I wish Microsoft had done that more like Apple did, but, um, to your question, your thought exercise, two games that you can mix together. I, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of any games that exist. That I'm like necessarily like, I don't know. I can think about the game I've always wanted to make or the game that like, if I were a game developer, this is the game I would make, which is, I, I'm sure probably a god-awful, stupid fucking idea for a game, but I like the idea of mixing Sonic the Hedgehog with, like, arcade racing and aesthetically justifying it by making it something kind of like Transformers, where it's like, it is a car that can transform into some kind of creature or person or whatever, and its gameplay is like a cross between Sonic and like Forza or Hot Wheels or some shit like that, or Need for Speed, where like it has moments where it's like high speed action platforming with some kind of light combat like Sonic. But then when it's like more about just pure speed and obstacle courses and things like that, you can transform into a car and um, 
and kind of like take on like track pieces, drifting, loop-de-loops, jumps, things like that. So if you can find some way to kind of take, I, I don't know, take the best of Sonic and the best of Hot Wheels and maybe slap like the Transformers IP on it or make it something that is like akin to Transformers, I feel like that is a really fun idea for a game. I think there's a fun idea there. I love arcade racing. I love Sonic. I love 3D platformers. Um, I just think all these ideas... There's, there's some kind of opportunity for these ideas to mesh together and be something unique and interesting. Uh, I, I don't know. That's that's always been the idea. I'm like, if I were to make a game, what kind of game would I make? And that's always the one that came to mind. But um, other than that, I don't know. I don't I don't really know if I can think of like any pre-existing games that I'm just like, oh, yeah, mash together. Uh, oh, you know what you should do is mash together Halo and Titanfall because it would just be one massive disappointment of a game that's never, ever, ever actually going to happen, and the fans will still be insufferably upset about it. So that's what you should mash together. Uh, but no, I, I liked your example. Tiny Kid and Hades, I think that's such a creative combination, and, and pulling the best of those uh, two games I think is super cool. I don't know. I, I, I really wish I had like a cooler, I don't know, a cooler idea or something, but I just I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Fun, fun thought exercise nonetheless, and if anyone else wants to write in with one, I'd love to hear some other takes on that question. Uh, Sam Torres writes in next. Love you, Sam Torres. Says, I thought they did. The Xbox had a great direct redacted comment due to length of plagiarism, length and plagiarism. Great show. Thank you, Sam. Have a wonderful week. Uh, achievement setting. Sta- okay, this is a good one. Jay Comatose writes in about achievements. I think this is a really good conversation that surprise hasn't come up on this show. And he says, uh, random thought as I was checking out the achievements today. Why are achievement tiles? stale and boring recently achievement tiles used to be artsy and stylish i think the whole achievement system needs a rework um dude honestly i'll take this question and i'll i'll extend it i'll take it a step further i think everything about achievements is a little stale right now um yeah you're right the tiles are with the xbox one they introduced this amazing feature where every achievement can have its own tile artwork that can in turn be used as like the background picture on your Xbox. It can be used as like your home screen wallpaper, which I love. And so it'd be like, you know, like, oh, you do this achievement on Halo 5 or whatever, and you get this really badass concept art of this one scene from the campaign. And then you can use that as the background picture on your Xbox dashboard. And it's like a cool way to say, yeah, I got that achievement. And also I'm adding some personality and charm to my dashboard. I fucking love it. But 9 out of 10 games, especially today, since this this feature is not new anymore, are just like every achievement has the exact same little icon or it's an uninspired icon, like a green background with like a trophy emblem or like a star emblem or something. It's like no one's going to unlock this and be like, oh, this is so cool. I got this achievement in Call of Duty. It's just a black background with a fucking military army boy star on it. I'm going to make that my background picture on my Xbox dashboard and all 30 achievements in the game are just that achievement logo over and over again. You're absolutely right. It's so insanely disappointing because the concept is so creative. I wish Microsoft made it a rule where you have to have more interesting art for your achievements. You have to have like thoughtful, non-repetitive art for each achievement so that you can incentivize players to chase achievements and to want to unlock these cool pictures and get different wallpapers because it's just, it's so, it's so fucking lame to me. You would think that Microsoft would care more about these things because these things drive engagement, which drives up playtime, which drives up time spent on your platform, which drives up People spending money and buying things and playing games. Like, why would you not want this kind of stuff? And I think in general, Xbox has this problem to, to a much larger extent with achievements where, like, remember when it used to be, like, if a full, a full like, 
first party game or third party AAA game had to have 50 achievements, a thousand gamer score. Indie games could have like 12 achievements, whatever. Nowadays, it's just like anyone can do whatever. And I feel like games only have two options. You either have like three achievements or you have like 75 achievements. And it sucks because the achievements aren't even creative anymore. Like when Modern Warfare 2 came out, Remember that that first week, it was just the campaign, no multiplayer if you pre-ordered the game. And so I blasted through the campaign, had a great time. I was like, this campaign is super badass. I want to go back and just start achievement hunting. But the game barely has any achievements. The game has like 19 achievements in Modern Warfare 2. And yeah, a couple of them are cool, like beat this level without ever getting caught or beat this level using this weapon. It's like, that's the cool shit about achievements is like making you play the game different ways. Halo 3, games like that famously have badass achievements where it's like, beat this level using this vehicle only in multiplayer co-op or whatever. And it's just like, you get on an Xbox party with your buddies and you, and you team up and you try to do these ridiculous, wacky, crazy things because you want to track these, you want to chase these achievements. It's making you break the game and play it in silly, goofy ways. Nowadays, I feel like achievements are just like, create your character, five, five gamer score, beat the game on the hardest difficulty, 50 gamer score, like, uh, made it to the part of the story where, where, where Butch, Butch shoots his face off, 25 gamer score, who's Butch, Butch, Bush, but uh, anyway, I, I, it sounds like a Red Dead Redemption sequel I haven't played yet, but anyway, I, I just, I don't know, man, it just, I feel like achievements in general have become so lazy and and the problem is it's up to Microsoft to enforce and to hold these developers accountable make sure that they do good artwork and that they they make their achievements thoughtful but it just really has become like anything goes with achievements unfortunately and I think absolutely especially compared to the heyday back in the 360 years achievements are not what they used to be they are still awesome I'm glad they still exist and I do enjoy them a lot but they're just not as good as they once were all right, Mr. Malg wrote in. I don't really know what this one means. It says, Jesse, because this is a Jesse podcast, I have to inform you that tomorrow live on Peacock is WWE Royal Rumble. One of the matches is a Mountain Dew pitch black match. I have no idea if it'll be good, but I'll watch it anyways. What does that mean? They had two cans of pitch black Mountain Dew fight each other. Please, Mr. Malg, please explain further. What does that mean? Next up, Cronky writes in and says, I want to clarify, I do not support this. Okay, we're, we're talking about Halo. The next couple of comments are Halo, and this sparked a lot of discussion. We had replies and everything. People are, people are talking about Halo. Cronky says, I want to clarify, I do not support id making a Halo game. That would probably make me so angry, I would throw my Series X through a window at, at Xbox's main headquarters. It is a top-tier studio that makes the best shooters in the industry. Maybe machine games can compete, I don't know. You don't take a team like that at their best and put them on cleanup duty. Obsidian made Fallout New Vegas. They cleaned up. They clearly are a step below Bethesda by most objective measures. It is above 343. Wrong direction. If 343 is a good boy, maybe they can get the privilege of working on Quake. But I, but to put it on Halo would be so wrong. To be honest, Halo is inferior to Doom and Quake. Cronky, politely disagree with you on all that but i would say i do agree i don't i don't really necessarily want it make i don't mind it making a halo game if it's what it wants to do and it is a spin-off to a it is a spin-off while 343 works on a main halo game but i i don't like this idea of like we just fucking botched the narrative of the halo universe and now it's just randomly making a halo game for shits and giggles and nobody cares anymore that makes me sad we'll, we'll come back to halo let's take a break from it for a second and do some other fun comments and then we'll come right back to Halo. mr Malg writes in again and says the hi-fi rush game looks like it's going to be really underrated i'm glad it's out now so i can try it out soon L let me stop there you wrote that right when the game was announced 
I agree. That's what I thought too, was that the game is going to be like super cool, kind of underrated. No one's going to give a shit because it looks cartoony. And it's not gory, but gladly we are both wrong. It seems like people really love this game. So I'm really happy to say that's the case. You, you continue on. You say also, Jesse, the razor edge handheld is about is out for pre-order. Now you going to get it. Yeah, I think it's out now. I think it came out like a day or two ago. It should be out now, but, um, no, I didn't. I put the $5 placeholder reservation down and then they wouldn't let me refund it. So I think I'm just out five bucks. But yeah, I got my email. They're like, hey, you can pre-order it now. You have your $5 deposit. Let's do this thing. And I went I went to the website. I was like, you know what? I'm just not feeling this anymore. I don't, I don't need an Android device that's a dedicated handheld gaming device when I have a billion Android phones laying around. I'll just buy one of those phone clips at some point and do that. I want to buy the Razer Edge. I do see the value in it. It looks sleek. It looks awesome. The display is excellent. I love the idea of having a separate device that doesn't kill my phone's battery all the time. I definitely see the value in this product. But at the same time, I'm just like, I don't know, man. I don't I don't think so. I just, at least right now, it just doesn't seem like the best use of money. So I think the product's really cool. I believe in it. I do want to see reviews and videos on it once it uh, comes out. But I, I'm not I'm not going to pre-order one and stop everything to, to play it myself, although I will I will keep an eye on this device. You let me know if you like it, Mr. Maug. If you're going to pick one up, let me know how it is. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Next up, Count Skyla says, oh, yeah, thank you for sending Splash Mountain out in style. Uh, I'm so sad. It was I'm so sad it was closed the last time I was there in 2019. That means the last time I wrote it was in 2006. Count Skyla, I am sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, Splash Mountain officially gone. I was fortunate enough. I flew right back into Orlando. Um, the day, the day it closed, I flew back from Atlanta into Orlando, got home from my brother's wedding and was like, I miss Florida and Disney world so much not being home. Uh, I'm going to go to magic kingdom and say goodbye to Splash Mountain tonight. So a buddy of mine came out and I actually had a really wonderful night just kind of saying goodbye to Splash Mountain and having some fun with him. And, um, it was one of those things where I'm just like, it's it's unfortunate because Splash Mountain is such an institution. It is such a it is such an integral integral part to so many people's Disney World experience and has been for so long. It is sad that 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 ride kind of got caught up in so much just nonsensical, just virtue signaling nonsense. Uh, because you know, although I I I am okay with the fact that it's going, and I think what they're replacing the ride with is promising. I don't know that I trust modern Disney to not fuck it up. But in theory, at least, I am pretty optimistic about what they're replacing Splash Mountain with. It it was it's crazy because to me, Splash Mountain is one of those like top ten things I remember about Disney World from the first time I ever went as a child. And uh, the fact that it's just it just doesn't exist anymore. It's just gone. It's kind of mind boggling. I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's like Space Mountain or Pirates of the Caribbean to me. You know, uh, Splash Mountain will always be one of those quintessential Disney experiences. And uh, Man, I'm I'm really rooting for what's next because Splash Mountain's a great ride, and I I hope it uh what what replaces it continues to be just as good, if not even better. But uh yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that you weren't able to give it another go before it closed. It does suck, but luckily, hey man, it's still open in California, and it, it seems like it's not closing anytime soon in Japan. So, hey man, you you're looking for someone to go to Japan with? I, I'm try I've been trying to get to Japan for a long ass time. I got to get out there to Tokyo Disneyland. You let me know, man. We'll book a trip. We'll go out to Tokyo Disneyland. We'll ride Splash Mountain. Check out Tokyo Disney Sea. Go do some of those kitty cat cafes. I mean, it'll be a good time. 
Japanese, good ramen, everything's going to be kosher. Hey, balls in your court, man. All right, Halo comeback comments. Let's circle back to the Halo stuff now. Ugh, let me do two shots of fucking Jack right, real quick before we, we do this. Kronky continues on with more Halo stuff. It says, hot take. I really don't think Bungie Halo had a good story. In fact, it had almost no story at all, which is fine. It was, gr it was great at what it was. But I hear people talk about the story of these games actually go through the story in your head. There's almost nothing there. There's really cool moments, there's set pieces, but not really a story. It wasn't really about the story, though, so it's okay. The games were great. 343 went all out with story, and I think the community doesn't seem to like that. I think the typical Halo fan would like StarCraft or Warhammer stories. Very minimal world building that allows lots of things to shoot. Um, Count Skyler replied to this and said... Bring back Splash Mountain. I'll pay for... No, I'm just kidding. Count Skyler replied to this comment and said, um, I don't think you're wrong, but those games just have a vibe that was new and fresh for the time period, which helps sell you on the story. When Halo Combat Evolved came out, I had zero interest. My friend had begged me to play it over uh, SSX, but it took 30 seconds for me to be absolutely hooked. 343 are definitely better storytellers, though. 343's real issue is that they need to make changes to things that they... Is that sorry? Is that they make changes to things that don't really need changed, or they promise and uh, or they overpromise and underdeliver? They typically get it where it needs to be, but it takes way too long. I think both of you make some really great points, but real quick, lastly, Clanky replies to all that and says, "I just replayed through Halo Reach, Combat Evolved two and three, and ODST not too long ago, and and thought the same thing. This is a great point. So, okay, so there's something here. A lot of people have stuff to say about this." I do think, Kronky, you've been you've been championing this point for a while now. You've been saying this to me. And I, I do think you do have a point, especially when you talk about Halo combat, Halo 1 and 2 in particular, where it's like Halo Halo 2 is like a story that happens in 24 hours. And like a lot happens in 24 hours, but it's like it's like an event in a day in the life is kind of like what Halo 2's narrative is. And Halo 1's narrative is super simple, which I think is fine, especially as like the setup for the series, especially because no one really knew what Halo was going to become when they made Combat Evolved. Um, so I, I definitely think Bungie did make the story a little more, more advanced and complex as they progressed and made more Halo games. But I do think you are right that that they do have like a general pretty easy plot line with some good characters and some good moments. And a lot of the game is, to count Skyler's point, is Halo was a game that defined a moment in time. And it's, it doesn't have to necessarily be that the story was so deep and dynamic and awesome. It's just that the game was so unlike anything anyone had ever seen at the time that the experiences people had playing the game, you know, they created stories playing multiplayer with their friends. They created stories goofing off doing co-op. They create, they, they, their imaginations were set off because of how innovative and just ground, uh, groundbreaking the games were that even though the campaigns didn't necessarily offer such a dense amount of narrative content, it's still the game was so inspiring and captivating that it kind of lit your imagination and and allowed you to get so engrossed and, and entrenched in this world, despite it not necessarily being the most groundbreaking revolutionary story ever told. Halo is, you know, especially the earlier Halo games, Halo is, for all intents and purposes, just some just some run-of-the-mill standard good old-fashioned sci-fi but I, I agree completely i think 343 takes what is a really solid but kind of basic foundation and really like amps it up and makes them like star trek level like really cool deep shit and i i love that so much about halo uh four and five in particular but um i i, I don't know i i think 
Count Skyla has a point, I think, especially about the whole like 343 will overpromise, underdeliver, and then they get it right once it's too late. I think, I mean, that's the story of Halo Infinite's life, but I think Halo 5 definitely had that issue a whole lot too during its uh, life cycle, and Master Chief Collection certainly had that issue as well. So I think that's a very good point as well. <clears throat> I think the thing 343 is up against is that. By the time they were at the helm, the novelty of the Halo IP had worn off. And so now the only way you were going to win people over with Halo was just to kind of do more of the same, um, but to really innovate on the the gameplay in creative and unique ways. And I think people didn't respond to the creative and unique ways that 343 had innovated in gameplay. You think about Halo 4, adding like multiplayer classes, Mm, no, we don't want we don't want Call of Duty. We want new ideas. You know, Halo Five, the squad based campaign thing, and then like the more twitchy, sweaty multiplayer thing. These are like good, unique ideas. But I think a lot of people felt like these weren't ideas that needed to be implemented in Halo, and that's the thing a lot of people took umbrage with. And I think it was also just that a lot of that three four three Halo happened, especially Halo Five, at a time where it was really popular to not like Xbox. So Halo 5 kind of had everything going against it at that time. I also think the art direction change, although I love it and I prefer it, I think a lot of people were turned off by that. So it's just, it's a lot of factors, I think, but you got to keep in mind, when you are the new guy taking over for the old guy, there's already a target on your back. And then when you're shepherding something like Halo at a time where Xbox is seen as really unpopular, you especially have a target on your back. And so I think, I think 343 absolutely does get an unfair rep and has a lot through history, but I think they also have done things to themselves. So it is a little bit of both, but I think if you have to weigh it more one way or the other, aside from Master Chief Collection, which was a fucking mess, I think 343 does get a little bit of an unfair treatment, and uh, mostly it's just mismanagement from Microsoft, if I'm being honest. Uh, But yeah, we have one more Halo conversation where... Count Skyla starts us off and says, The developer direct format was great last week. None of the games are going to be uh, come something that I pour tons of hours into, but I like the variety. As for Halo, I'm always rooting for 343. I need to see them at a minimum finish these stories they've already started. No reboot, though. I hate the idea spread I hate these ideas spreading around Twitter. After the Halo TV show, I have zero interest in meeting a new Master Chief. And again, this is a comment that was written before the news we went over earlier today. I replied to this because it resonated with me a shit ton. I said, yes, absolutely, no reboots. Uh, The games still have a deeply compelling story. Just finish the fight. To which Dead Captain James chimes in and says, at some point we will have to find, sorry, we'll have to have a new Master Chief. The voice is getting pretty old and he won't be around forever. Don't you fucking say that, man. Don't you say that. But yeah, you, I'm sure, right? Twitch Kevin Skyler says, Hey, I understand even if Steve Downs is ready to retire, his Master Chief voice may be different. I just want them to finish the story they've started. Once they finish that story, they can spin off, reboot, whatever. They just need to leave it. At, they just can't leave it as it was and start over. I cannot live with that. Count Skyla, I think you are getting at the crux of my biggest gripe here, which is like, even if, dude... I would be less crestfallen if Microsoft came out and said, listen, 343 has started something with Halo Infinite. We're going to support them and finish this this project. Halo Infinite is up to a 10-year service game for Halo, and we have many new single-player stories to tell, and we have lots of multiplayer content to provide. This game is going to stick around for a while, and we're going to continue to win you guys over with great content. If that was the comment they made, and then for the next like five to eight years, we just get a couple more campaigns that 
fill in the gaps between Halo 5 and Infinite and explain this new enemy faction and tell a new story and we get some more information on Atriox and we get some awesome character development between the weapon and Master Chief. If we get if we get like three or four campaigns with all of that, you know, included into Halo Infinite and we get more maps, more weapons, more items to use in multiplayer, um, things like that, I'm totally happy. After that, you can say, we're walking away from Halo. We're putting the thing on ice for, for a decade or so. And when we come back, Steve Downs isn't going to be there. Master Chief's going to be gone. Halo's over. This is the last one. Maybe on the last campaign for Halo Infinite, what you do, you fucking kill off Master Chief. I don't know. Maybe. And then you can go away for a long time. Then you can have other developers make spinoff games. You can reintroduce the series 10 years later with a new protagonist. I don't care. But it pains me that I love the world of Halo from Combat Evolved up through 5 so very much. And then I get this unsatisfying gap between five and infinite. And now infinite is just having its legs chopped off and we're just kind of like left in limbo. And that's so fucking upsetting to me. But yeah, um, thank you guys for writing in on that. Our last comment of the week, our, our wrap up comment is com coming from headhunting Halo. You know him, you love him. Dang, 20 comments, stepping it up. None of that matters. What matters is that GoldenEye is here and I beat all the levels. 007 agent, so I don't even, I even have the Egyptian levels. I also have 007 Echivo, but nothing for secret agents. Someone help me. I should unlock both levels since I beat the game in the hardest difficulty as well as both Achivos. I need to, I, I need to raise. That is all as much love and shout out to the commenters this week. Head on to Halo. Love you. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. And to all of you, that's going to do it for the Xbox On podcast this week. Have a great week. Be well to yourselves. Be well to others. Eat yummy food. Play wonderful games. Um, stop shit-talking Halo on Twitter so that Microsoft will stop crippling Halo uh, developers, 343, at every chance they get. And um, for the love of God, man, just, I don't know, let's, let's all just go outside and breathe some fresh air and get away from all the toxicity and hope and pray that somewhere out there, somewhere out there, there is a story where... We got to watch the UNSC fight against the created in this army of AI that Cortana controls and these guardians that 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 police these planets um, get to basically hold dominion over the human race. And we get to see that fight where the Spartans and the UNSC are at war with these AI. And I just I, I want to know what that story looks like and then how that plays into Atriox and the, the you know, the relationship there with him and Cortana and everything that we we just didn't see. I want to know how that story goes. But um, anyway, you guys have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Take care. Until next week, power your dreams. Oh, and Master Chief, finish the fucking fight. You know what you got to do. <laughs>